quickly. So if you don't understand anything, just keep it to yourself and pretend you did. I'd be very, very careful who you talk to about that, because the person who wrote that is dangerous. Right, so for today's podcast, we, um, we're going to dig back into the archives to a conversation that um, Michael, Paul, and myself had with a friend of mine named Brian Harder. And Brian is a climber, bike racer, uh, ski mountaineer, and a physician's assistant in a joint replacement clinic. And he was actually down here in Salt Lake um, in, the, in the fall to uh, get himself kitted out with the most modern schemo gear available because we have a really good shop here in town. And uh, so we had this interesting discussion that, that covered, you know, a little bit of climbing and bike racing and endurance and as well as diet, but the audio quality is not as uh, uh, quality, I guess, <laughs> as we expect of ourselves now. So please bear with us. Uh, I didn't want to completely lose this conversation because it was a good one and it's something that was never going to happen again. So um, just grit your teeth and uh, listen in that's where this stemmed out of. And I want like a battery test that will t teach me like how efficiently you can move heavy weight and breathe and then recover from medium weight and then breathe and then go to lightweight and move m maximally. Okay. I saw that. That's awful. So it's a that just right there. It makes a little bit more sense. Now. <laughs> so it's a 30 minute AMRAP. The first, so you pick two, you can pick whatever you want. You pick two movements, one monostructural. So it could be, uh, I try to get people away from doing the normal like airdyne calories or, or row or whatever and go for um, like a burpee <laughs> or it, well because why wouldn't why wouldn't you choose uh, so I chose an explosive step up last night to prove a point which point has been proven <laughs> point, point you're going to be proving it for the next day yeah calves are kind of mm. on fire and then you pick one loaded movement that you can unload throughout the workout so I made a really bad mistake by picking a deadlift. Um, but the day before, I picked Airdyne and ball over shoulder. Okay. <laughs> How heavy a ball? 150 for the first five minutes, 100 pound for the next 10 minutes, and then 80 pound for the rest of the 15 minutes. So that was the first one. So that one, that one was a terrible comment. That was probably some of the most pain I felt in my forearms and in my... That was bad. Um, Anyway, so the point of it, it, and then you escalate the, the, the reps. So they go 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, 21, all the way up until you're done with 30 minutes. So the first five minutes, you pick your heaviest weight in your aerobic feature. So you'll do three step up, three explosive step ups, three deadlifts like I did yesterday. And then you'll do six, six. After five minutes, you strip some weight off of the deadlift. So I started at 225, then went 185, then 135. So at five minutes and 15 minutes, you strip weight. Then you go for it. So the point was that you should have, like, if you have a bat, like an energy system battery that is consistent, your reps per minute shouldn't change. No matter the weight. Well, if you pick appropriate, obviously, if you pick well, yeah. like a 405, but if we're picking yeah. in this battery of like, so I, I state if you're going to pick a load for a movement and it changes, like, obviously, the 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 distance that I'm moving the bar. If I'm just picking it up to my hip like I was, that's different than putting it on my shoulder, different than putting it overhead. So those will change, but the uh, but the reps per minute, if I'm given the same uh, lift and I and I start at 75% and then drop the next one down to 65% and okay. then I end at 55%, I should have the same or very, very close reps per minute. What it normally looks like if you have an interrupted 
battery is that you come out hard, you fail miserably, and then you're able to kind of pick it up and hero the last 10 minutes. So you start to, if you're paying attention. So the first one, which makes kind of say all this stuff lines up with stuff that we've tested, especially like with the burpee. So I brought up that thing, that fucking horrible one that you made us do for Zeb's birthday. 35 minutes of burpees. Yeah, yeah. 35 minutes fucking max burpees. <laughs> but my guess based off of that. So I was explaining to the guys last next saw, year, 36 minutes. We're going to progress this slowly. Yeah. It's gonna, like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to so, get better at burpees once a year yeah. or worse, depending on where I'm at. Awesome. And so you saw the charts and whatnot. Those are basically because given enough movements that you know about yourself, you should be able to predict what you can do like from the very beginning. So, um, I charted out basically what I did on the ball and airdyne and then charted out what I did on the deadlift and uh, uh, box step up or explosive step up. And then what we did on that burpee because it's all pretty much the same thing. And so I started out 17.8 reps per minute. I kind of fell a little bit, got 16.9. And then I came back up to 17.2 reps per minute. So there's a, a, an okay curvature there. We had some people that came out hero like – 20 reps a minute for the first five minutes, 10 reps a minute for the next 10 minutes, and then kind of picked it up and did like 13 the average changes. But eventually, should, the idea was like, this should tell you a lot about yourself. Now, the next test is to flip mirror that. And you start light and go up heavy and see what system falls apart. Mm. Right? How, how do you control people either... Do you, do you have cheating? any sort of... They cheat anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> any sort of... Gaming the workout. Is there any sort of control for sandbagging up front or just on the other side, like forcing the pace? Is, are you just doing that with the load itself? Uh, I mean, you could sandbag it, but then you just have a low score. It's optimal okay, okay, to have okay, a high yeah, yeah, score yeah, yeah. across the board. Yeah, so this was yeah. when he was explaining so this to me yesterday, and I was just like, well... If you're fully willing to accept a low score, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I game this all day long, but I realize that that's you know, not competitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not utilitarian. You gotta, if you want, you know what I told those guys last night. I don't know if you saw this stuff. I used your uh, think, train, think, change. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Sounds like an Obama fucking tagline, but. <laughs> We should, we should see if Shepard Ferry can make his poster. Oh. <laughs> Change. Um, Let's do that. That would be cool. Because I mean, it, it fits into the point of something like that. Like a lot of time, we show up, we do a battery of things for thirty-five minutes or whatever, and we feel like shit. We go as hard as we think that we can in the moment, but then that's it. It ends right there, and then we leave and we go out the door or whatever. And we were talking about the other day because we're diagramming some stuff for things that we're working on, and I wrote. Uh, think, train, change. Yeah. And Mark came up and corrected me. Because it's right. Like, if you don't reflect on the actions that happened, there's it's meaningless. You're just going to come in and continue to do the same thing. Use the same weights. Try to hold on. Just hurt yourself or whatever. And sometimes, by corollary, you'll get better. But rarely. So if you think about it. So I made everybody sit down and work out, like, what their paces were. What they could improve on. Like, if they saw drastic cuts. Okay, that's a sign that... 
you know, the and if they thought sucks. it meant anything, like if they could yeah. draw any kind of conclusion about like I just slowed down and it felt worse at the end than it did the beginning, <laughs> you know, like, there's not a lot. <laughs> you're not learning that much, probably. Well, but. And that, that was and there's another thing that's there is like if if the movement matters, right? So if I'm uh, I'm not good at something or I'm less comprehensive in a certain movement, that might not be a sign of uh, like a physiological uh, neurological yeah, yeah yeah limitation yeah, it feels a, like it was it's definitely a neurological like limitation so the yeah. some people pick some complex movements like, and they learned quickly that those <laughs> go away faster like you pick a snatch instead of a, yeah. a deadlift well not only is that you know physically or or the distance is different but it's neurologically a totally different much thing. more complex yeah absolutely yeah <clears throat> I, that reminds me of a funny anecdote that relates directly to you in terms of gaming these sorts of things. <laughs> Much shorter interval, but uh, at your seminar, 2007, I'm with Mark fucking Twite, and I need to impress him in some fashion, of course. <laughs> this is in the back of my head, not consciously, of course, but I'm sitting there, we're like, oh, we're going to do a heavy rope whip smash Tabata. And oh my god, I went for it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Double handed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was so fucking crushed. Halfway through, I, I thought I was gonna barf. I, I couldn't stand. My, everything was just red hot, blood taste, the whole thing. And I just stumbled through the second four minutes. Oh god, it was awful. And I had to go outside. I did not recover for like 45 minutes. I was just shattered. And that's the worst I have ever felt physically in such a short period of time. Before and since. And since. And since. Yeah. God. You, you know how to avoid it now. Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Don't fucking pace. work out it's in called, front of you. Yeah. It's called pace. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Ignore who else and, is in the room. And, yeah. And ignore who else is in the room. That was awesome. For a second there, I thought Brian stole my story because I had the same experience. The first workout he had me do at... At your oh, place was the whip what? smash <laughs> <place. Yeah. laughs> and I was like seeing stars oh. after the first round. I was like, "There's no way that rope could mess you up that bad." No, it's stunning. It can mess you up. Oh, everything, yeah. just my shoulders, my traps, and then by the end, I, I couldn't even get that that little whipple to go all the way to the wall. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, like I am lifting. It's it's yeah. I'm trying, okay. I'm trying. trying my best. My whip smash no longer looks like I'm on Viagra. It's <laughs> yeah. very. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared of that. I haven't done one since. Right, so. It's fine. and there's the other piece of that too. Is there's a huge, there's a huge amount of head movement in the in the beginning if you're going for it with oh. the, like, <laughs> and you're so you're really tossing your brain around. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think that um, contributes to the overall feeling of Nausea. that you're doing something to improve your health. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's worse than kettlebell swings, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. It contradicts that you're doing something for your health. Oh, yeah, exactly. Which, which is a fun mis- mistake just in fitness in general is that, yeah, I'm doing this to, like, to, to be healthier. Like, no, I'm doing this because there are demons that need slaying inside. And, and, and I really, if I end up outside puking, that's, that's, that I'm, I'm expelling my demons. Yeah. It, it's just like I never taste blood if I drink a green shake. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick to that. Oh, that's great. Well, we you get some good ab work, too, if you, if you vomit. It, yeah, <laughs> dry heaving. <laughs> <is, yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> Obliques. Now for the anterior chain. Yes. Yeah. 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 Serratus. <laughs> serratus work. Okay, now we're coming to the weight loss portion of our workout. <laughs> It's superficial, now however. I, now I understand why you had me get on the scale oh, yeah. before I did this. Exactly. <laughs> get on the before and after, and you just think like, man, I dropped weight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really I'm sweating that much. So, Brian, uh, your last name's Harder? It is. That's a, like, that's a hell of a last name. Easier, softer. Yeah. 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 Harder. Harder. <laughs> <laughs> and you went through a Jim Jones seminar in 2007. Okay. What, true. what brought you to Jim Jones? What got you interested in? Well, I was living in Jackson, Wyoming, and uh, got involved with Rob Shaw at Mountain Athlete. Okay. And he was patterning a lot of what he was doing uh, after what Mark had on the website. And, and he's a thinker as well. Rob's a really smart guy, so he's kind of doing his own thing, looking a little CrossFit. And we just both decided, let's, let's go down to Salt Lake and... And get just walk into the throne room and see what's up. And so, yeah, we spent a weekend with Mark and his understudies, and uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a good cool. time. So, kind of mountain athletics is that what you're interested in? And in the- yeah, for me, uh, I lifelong climber, okay. skier, that sort of thing. And <clears throat> Rob was really early in his gym days, and so he was courting. Uh, Exum guides, and I was an Exum guide at the time, um, to to be his lab rats, and I was one of his guinea pigs, for better or worse. I mean, he broke he broke a few people, um, and literally, literally, yeah. yeah, yeah. People got hurt, <laughs> and I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure every gym owner has those guys, but it was even more so back mm-hmm. then because the dose was unknown, the intensity was unknown, and uh, you know, so a lot of it's inappropriate, as you guys know. But I would have to agree that, you know, we didn't know back then, but I mean, either, but be, but I think that the thing that saved us mostly was my general level of paranoia about hurting people. Cause, right. cause as we were talking about today, you know, somebody gets hurt and you're just like, oh, well now they can't do, there's this thing that they look, you know, okay. Specifically talking about training runners, because yeah. if you break a runner, they're broken for a long time. You break a dude, it's harder to break a guy. If you're training for bike racing, mm-hmm. yep. and they're not broken for as long, <laughs> if you if you do do it, unless you, you know, really really put them in the hole, and yeah. then you know it's it, it 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 could take months, but 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 the 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 thing in the gym, like nobody that the back in that time, especially from in our user group, if you will, no one had a relationship with high intensity effort right. of any kind, like, and so. You end up doing those things where you're just like, oh, you do this really hard, hard fucking thing for three or four minutes and just feel absolutely shitty. And then 20 minutes later, feel like I didn't work out because I'm used to working out for three hours or four hours or all day or two days in a row or something. And then and then end up and this happened to Kelly Cordes, actually, you know, because he started going and realized like, man, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. And started like stacking high intensity efforts on top of high intensity efforts multiple days and I think and I think we came to the conclusion at some point where um, we realized like oh yeah you can do that you last about three weeks <laughs> and then and then, then then you're done you just get sick or you get Something's or you get a break yeah. Yeah. yeah well what's interesting is that that now has I think flip-flopped into almost the exact opposite degree so it, as opposed to like man I did I only worked out for 20 minutes or, or whatever it is you can't get somebody who is now you like adapted to high intensity exercise 
to do anything long because it doesn't feel like they're doing anything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. tell, mm-hmm. like trying to teach a high intensity junkie about endurance, they're like, it's just as easy as teaching an endurance junkie about high intensity. Exactly. <laughs> and they can't fathom what it feels like because they only know this one feeling. Yeah. So it's the same like bringing in, having them taste blood for the first time. They're like, what in the fuck was that? But the opposite is true. It's like, slow down. No, I'm not doing anything. Hmm. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. Come with me. <laughs> Keep Did going. Did you bring your yeah. lunch? Yeah. Tell, you're going to need it. <laughs> Tell me that you're not doing anything after hour four. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. I mean, the, 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 there are physical and obviously psychological adaptations. And, and at a certain point, you only want to do, and I, I recognize this later on after I been riding and racing my bike for a long time that I only liked to ride my bike because it was like I get on the bike I feel good and everything else and you know other physical activity caused a different feeling of, of not good you know like man I get on the bike I know I know what I look like I'm fucking like 67 kilos skinny fucking skinny little guy and but I get on a bike I feel like I feel like a stud Strong, but then everything else, and you just like oh, I just don't do that thing anymore. And so when I told Joe Holmes, like, "Hey man, racing bikes makes you a pussy," um, he's like, "No, it doesn't." And then <laughs> I just like, "No, hear me out, hear me out," because you're tough, and you've just proved it to me last weekend. <laughs> but, but, um, <clears throat> but like, you just end up not wanting to do the stuff that doesn't give you the good feedback. Which is, so I've raced bikes, I know what that feels like, what volume feels like, and now I'm, I would call myself an intensity junkie because now I can handle some very painful things and feel good, but you're right, there, there's this feedback that I feel good, like I feel, I don't feel good, yeah. it feels terrible, everything feels terrible, but I... But you feel capable. Uh, yeah, yeah, and in comparison to other people doing the same things, I look capable. And then I get on a bike and I'm like, what the fuck happened? Especially because now I'm comparing to my former self mm-hmm. and I don't move the same way. Yeah. For some reason. I can't describe what. Freak accident. <laughs> yeah. Freak accident of where you like crashed your bike and then gained 20 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> 30 for I mean, a while. Okay. <laughs> now, now it looks like the bike is literally growing out from your ass. Yeah. You're riding. I had the problem before where I looked overgrown on a bike. Now it's oh. just ridiculous. Yeah. And, and there's always this weird thing that I, like I always feel too small underweight. I look skinny when I have a weight overhead and then I look fat on a bike. Like there, there's no winning. You just like, look like a track cyclist. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. You just don't race a track. If there was a track here, I could say yeah. that, but people would call <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Where are you from? <laughs> yeah. I, saw, I saw a drawing of a, like a whole like cycling center they were going to build, right? With BMX yeah. track. And, <sighs> and we do one in Boise too. Yeah, it never yeah. happened. Mm. It was supposed to be in Draper. Yeah. Yeah. A BMX track too? Yeah. Yeah. It was like cyclocross course, BMX, like pump track, huge um, thing. Velodrome. Yeah. Like the whole thing. And I think, I think five years ago. Yeah. I I recall the discussions of them not wanting to put the velodrome indoors. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were thinking about doing an outdoor one. You're like, so it's useless eight months out of the year. Like, (laughs) (laughs) what? Yeah, when it's 100 degrees outside, you want it indoors for one reason. <laughs> when it's 10 degrees outside, you, you want, want it indoors, indoors for another reason. <laughs> but but, but year-round, indoors is not bad. Yeah, that, 
it would have been interesting. I would actually, I tried getting into track cycling for a little bit. I had a stint with it. Um, I thought in my head, I thought it was going to combine the best of both worlds that I really liked. It was like weightlifting. You would know, think. You would think, right. Yeah. And then like cycling, like, and then I could do it indoors. So I don't have to go out in the pissing rain when we're in Vancouver or I could, yeah. you know, I wouldn't have to ride in the winter. It'd be good winter training. Then I could get back on the bike and race a bike. And then, I'd, you know, in my head, I thought I was going to show up and, you know, some gigantic track cyclists that are throwing out. 3,000 watts for a minute or whatever were going to high-five me and we're all going to be bros. And I showed up and it was not that at all. Like, I, Yeah. It was, D, it was D&D on a bicycle. Like, it, it was just geeks that literally didn't want to ride outside. Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> or Have you ever seen Robert time. Forster, though? He's a German man. With oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the oh, largest, yeah. largest ups in the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. that's kind of how I picture you. He's, he's massive. <laughs> and those he's, guys are big. Like, the, the, the cyclists at the top level, definitely big people, definitely strong, definitely not cyclists, have you imagined the term? But the, they're few and far yeah, between. Yeah, not, not your average. They're rare, uh, especially. Tracked innocent. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> at the level of anything. Like, you show up to a Cat 5 road race and you're gonna be like what the fuck <laughs> there's more bellies on top tubes than there's like anything which is fine but that like crossfit same thing you show up to an amateur crossfit competition and you're like how are these people still alive <laughs> like <laughs> it, like salmon jumping out of water i, I think yeah, yeah. We, we call it uh the car lot guy right you know the car lot guy if you go to a dealership and there's like a, a blow up guy, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're like wiggling, they're totally unstable. That's what it looks like at a CrossFit competition if it's an amateur. <laughs> so, like, so you, go, you go to anything and you're like, God, these people suck. So my first exposure, it, now if I would have gone on, like gone into a, uh, a velodrome and like Forrester was there, I would have been like, awesome. Yeah, like, people, if he was nice yeah, to me, I would probably be track racing today. And that... That in itself shows something really interesting with like how important it is for the culture to be accepting of new people or to at least approachable. Because I think that's why cycling is kind of dying out, especially in this state. Like a couple years ago, too elitist, uh, elitist, not welcoming. Like I am a site. Like I race bikes for a long time. I know everybody that still races here. I went to a race. No one said a fucking word to me the other day. It, like a couple yeah. months ago, I went to a race. I know everybody. I would like nod at them and they would turn and walk the other way. Now, maybe they didn't recognize me, but I know for I a fact some of them did. 20. Some of them with the biceps yeah. and yeah. the chest muscles. Yeah. But in like the same they, sense. Did any of them say the triathlons that way? <laughs> <laughs> They could have. No, okay. uh, I would have. I would tell, there's a restaurant across the street. You guys oh, should go eat something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's a big thing. Like maybe that's why some, like if you go to why obstacle racing is so popular, it's like, it's massively growing and I've never been to one, but when you watch like how people interact with other it's people at obstacle, it's like a fucking oh, yeah. high fives everywhere, slaps Absolutely. on the butt. Like it's very like the camaraderie is there and CrossFit's very similar. Like you go to it's some level. No, it's not. But for the most part, you go to a CrossFit competition and everybody talks to everybody. Everybody's a friend. 
everybody relates like it, it is a different culture you go to bike race and it's like fuck you you looked in oh. my way or you have the bike i want or like yeah. man he doesn't <laughs> have it's just the biggest bunch of insecure yeah. dicks on the planet mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. i mean when i was in boise which is probably why i liked I, it so much i was one of these guys absolutely <laughs> maybe not overtly mm-hmm. or, or consciously but i was definitely part of that culture you know, I, I, I rode for a really strong team in Boise, and we were six pretty dominant guys. And we raced horribly together because we all wanted to win, but we were all really strong in our own right. <laughs> no, no, t- <laughs> but, no teamwork whatsoever. No, none at all. And we were the laughing stock of the Northwest because we had so much talent, and yet and we just never, we never delivered. So... Um, Anyway, I remember this new guy came into town. He's like, "Yeah, can I go with a ride for you with you guys?" I'm like, "Sure, it'd be great." We all looked at each other. Like, we crushed this motherfucker, and we just (laughs) rode him into the ground, out the back, and we're all like, "Yeah, showed another one." He hated us for the rest of the time he lived in Boise, (laughs) and he he rode for the other team. He's like, "Yep, those Georgia's guys, what a bunch of dicks." That's kind of... Like, what the fuck is that all about? You don't do that in mountain biking. You don't do it in CrossFit. You don't do that in obstacle racing. It's like, it's so unfortunate. Or climbing. Or, I mean, one of the things that, um, is, I'll just say it's sort of 2003, 2004, when ski mountaineering racing start, you know, started here in the U.S., essentially. I think 2004 was the first World Cup race um, yep. was here. And it was an immature sport, so you had to be friendly. Right. <laughs> like, like there's not enough people, so every so <laughs> gotta hold on just, to. <laughs> like when you pull the wagons in a circle, it's a pretty small circle. Yeah, and and I think the the whole tribal nature or the the, the um, and the culture of different sports um, made. I mean, it was it was super cool back then that it, uh, that there was that level of hi how are you? Yeah. Whereas at a bike race, it, oh, not at all, doesn't exist. not at all. But and. But then secretly, once you're kind of on, on the opposite side of, you know, you're not, they're not being a dick to you. You're being a dick to, you know, someone the else. Others. The other, yeah. the other tribe the or us whatever. And then them. <laughs> you know, as soon as you're, as soon as you're in, you just, then it's cool. Well, yeah. Like then you, then you feel like, it, which is a really strange thing, um, <laughs> it, which would indeed contribute to the, you know, sort of the dying of the sport and actually um, rode last Sunday or whatever. With um, Mike, uh, one of the, the owners of First Endurance. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, I can't remember his family name, but and, he, and I was asking him, you know, what's the racing scene like here? You know, mm-hmm. and he, he just said, well, it's all the, you know, it's either it, it's dying. Mm-hmm. You go to the Masters race, and there's like six guys or whatever, and it's yeah. the same six guys. There used to be the t- same ten guys, but four <laughs> of them stopped racing, and. And I just thought, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess the, the writing was on the wall. Part of it's, you know, climate also. Yeah, I, I imagine it's a little bit different in Southern California. Yeah. Although I've heard the similar things that it's dying out. Um, but just in my like, limited view, I went to a stage race because my friend was racing in it. And it was the Bikes for Kids stage race. Okay, yeah. Uh, that one is usually sells oh, out. Yeah. Like you have to pre-book it beforehand to be able to get into it. There was 10 guys in uh, Cat 3. Whoa. Wow. Ten. That used okay. to be big. That, that, that was yeah. the saturated field. <clears throat> yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, that, and that's what m- my category is. And then I showed up to uh, Crit Championships, got talked into racing it without... Well, <laughs> in your current state? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. No, fucking, it was <laughs> a mistake it. for sure. But, <laughs> oh, but you're top 11. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was good. I mean, if, if I like, you know... 
if I could have made it to the finish line and had a bench pressing contest, <laughs> yeah, I can deadlift more than you. Unfortunately, well, and I actually really like the course because it's Sugar House Park, and that's a really fun course yeah. if, if you know how to handle a bike. Because a lot of people don't. Um, I was still way too nervous to be able to do something like that. But to compare racing that, there was forty six in the field for that, which is that's decent uh, enough to be fun. Three or four years ago, there was a hundred and ten. Oh, wow. So it is definitely changed, and I, I would have to say it's not that everybody's a dick, but there is something that's going on where you're trying to hide the culture as opposed to being welcoming or opening. And I think it's important to, like, if for the sport to grow, you have to have open, you have to interest new people, you have to have an influx of people, especially if. You know, last time I was racing seriously, there was people getting like broken necks and broken hips, oh, like oh yeah, broken elbows, like all that stuff happens. So, like that's kind of the reason why I left bike racing was an injury. So you need an influx to keep it healthy. I just don't think it's it's willing to support that nowadays. I mean, from the outside looking in, it's got to be completely intimidating, right? I mean, <sighs> now, the physical demands notwithstanding. The equipment, yeah, you know, and, and I mean, the, and the, then this attitude, the like, financial barrier to entry is pretty yeah. high, right? and then the technical yeah. part, right? Yeah. You're a you are a hazard, and everybody will let you know how <laughs> dangerous you are, and they're yeah. going to chase you away unless you're really thick skinned or you have some natural ability to absorb what you need to know, do yeah. very quickly. Yeah, and then you'll have the respect, and people leave you alone. Yeah, I, I think they take their. Uh, I, th- I think one of the reasons is they. Like culturally speaking, and this happens at the, I imagine the highest levels from what I, in professional cycling, from what I've heard, is that they take their competitive mindset and that transgresses into their social mindset, as in like at a race before a race, mm-hmm. they're so steeped in what needs to happen. And maybe that's because of the distance or the, the group dynamic in bike racing doesn't ever shift. Like you're next to the guy that you're racing. Therefore, when I'm off a bike before the race and after the race, it feels very similar. Because in a in a event like CrossFit or or so, something similar to that, I'm very very nice and talk to everybody and it's a really good experience. And then as soon as the bell goes off, fuck everybody. I'm gonna fuck everybody up and I hope that they die. Like that. That's my head is like, man. I hope I hope they trip and shin their skin or like skin <laughs> skin the shin. Like everything that could be when somebody has a bad thing, I'm like, good. And then after, I'm like, man, that sucks that that happened. Like there is a shift that happens where you can separate those two mentalities. But in bike racing, I was a dick before and I was a dick after and I was a bigger dick like talking about it because you have a couple friends that you're friends with who go, oh, I did this to this one guy and you, like that becomes the culture and that's not in most sports I don't think Mm-mm. well even at the highest level <laughs> I, I'm, just laughing, I'm just laughing it's like uh, that's true everybody I know drives to the bike race by themselves Really? (laughs) (laughs) Like saddest thing I've ever heard. We used to call that a Jackson carpool. One person in one bike. You can't get any less. Well, you you mentioned (laughs) at every level of the sport, so Back in the day, uh, in late 80s, early 90s, I did go to some pro races, not as a professional, but as one of those pack fodder guys that wanted to race with the heroes, right? And I remember a a couple of instances specifically 
One of them was in a long road race with Coors Light at the time. They were a big team. Uh, Alexi Graywall, like, you know, 84 gold medalist. Yeah. <laughs> Known complete dick, pathologic. So and I remember riding <laughs> through the Peloton. And we're just, we're just kind of cruising. Nobody's off the front, whatever. And I kind of go cruising off the front. And as I go by him, he goes, where the fuck do you think you're going? <laughs> and I, uh, nowhere. He's like, that's right. Nowhere in the back. <laughs> yes. like, wow. Okay. okay. And then, and then my, my other experience, same team, interestingly enough, Greg Orvets, uh, U.S. Pro Champion, somewhere around 90. We're in the final stage at the Washington Trust, big, big stage race. Uh, downtown Spokane hauling ass and I find myself near the front on the last lap I'm like holy fuck this is going to be awesome <laughs> oh my god everything went apeshit I realized what an amateur I was but Greg Orvets came up and grabbed me by the hip and shoo just sent me right out the back while he started to sprint for the win he didn't win but I went wow I am just a piece of shit get out of the way like, what a yeah. dick what yeah. a, if, I, if I would have had the frame of mind that I have now I would have just come and throttled him after the race but you know I was like ooh I'm just yeah when you're intimidated and you don't yeah. know the ropes then yeah. that's the only thing you know is what the top and whatever your group is can show you yeah. and if they show you a dick attitude well that's what you think the sport yep. is. There it is. Yeah. That's, that's they were not leading by example, at least not a good example. <laughs> <laughs> but was that a was that a dick move that he pulled or is that I don't, mean, or well, you know, kind of right. I don't have enough experience in that sort of that tier yeah. to know, but I bet you that happens all the time. Yeah. And it's just normal. Yeah. And you just thought it was a dick move because yeah. no one had ever and then You're I, you know, done that. Yeah, no, <laughs> never. No, I, would, I, I have more. I have more, uh, you know, class than that. I yeah. guess. Yeah. I the, only, the only, the last time I got grabbed by the hip like that, it was at the gay bar. So I was totally. <laughs> <turned> <laughs> off. You know, and, and I have these fantasies to this day about about grabbing his arm and throwing him to the deck at thirty miles an hour. Like, there. Oh yeah. God! Get you to grab what, me. What do, you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Huh? So it sucks because what I love about the bike doesn't get translated through the competition of it generally like mm -hmm. it gets translated through the training of on a bike like you see the most beautiful places at the most beautiful times of day and if you're training with a friend or and usually have like a cycling buddy that you see all these things with that fosters a really good relationship but in the worst case scenario someone who really loves it experiences that then they translate the competitive mindset into their daily life we i see this problem even today of like a really good friend that i race bikes with um he got into functional fitness stuff, runs his own business kind of deal. And because of he know like because of his association with competitiveness in cycling, he can't cross that boundary and do things uncomfortable in other kinds of sports. Like I invited him in here, hey, come out and just work out with these guys. Like, oh no, no. Like <laughs> he doesn't want to go through that again because he's beat his way to the top of the pecking order. And now he can dish out whatever he wants in his right. sport, but he doesn't want to ever come back to the bottom. And I think that's because of the sport he's in. Yeah. Which is interesting. Because he may not find it so awful yeah. when he walks in this door and starts from the ground level. Right. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And everybody's going to support it. <laughs> not quite crazy. Yeah. Oh, we'll yeah, still exactly. give him a hard time. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Only that. to pay back for what he did you to me. You made that look really heavy. <laughs> well, he's responsible for me doing that fucking crick race. <laughs> <laughs> couple, so. well, he needs some payback. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> At least you have all your skin. Right. When, <laughs> when did you make the transition from bike racing to schema racing? 
Uh, well, so it was bike racing for a long time. Then I was an alpinist. And, okay. And relative, you know, strong in a climbing sort of way, but mm-hmm. certainly not from this world mm-hmm. in, in this gym. Um, so alpinism... Uh, took a break from bike racing, but when Mark and I were actually going to races together, that was my second coming in bike racing. So yeah, I had a big oh. chunk of time off, and then uh, my girlfriend and turn turn wife uh, decided she wanted to become a bike racer. So I was taking her to bike races, and all I had to do was go to Boise and watch my old friends. Like, yeah, and all of a sudden the rats. Mm-hmm. got awake and he started gnawing at that part of my brain and i started racing again i don't know what that's like but oh. i did just order a road bike so <laughs> <laughs> really yeah oh, yeah man. yeah because i used to i used to make fun of the linebackers and now i am one so mm-hmm. uh now it'll be I, I wanted to do it, not compete in it but I did want to ride again so I, I understand that whole like oh, man what that feels like yeah it's a bad question to ask now for me it was it was purely the competitive thing like crit racing I love <sighs> crit racing and that elbows and making people hurt yeah. all that shit god it's so intoxicating it's, it's one day <laughs> we were he was down here and we were riding out, out of Park City as I recall and we were going up Browns Canyon and coming back and, and Brian was way more fit than I was on the bike and faster and he'd just be like come up and then he'd like get in front of me and then start going a little faster a little faster and then they just like boom create like a 20 foot gap drift back and like how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> do it again do it again and you're just like motherfucker this guy's just old like, habits <laughs> just like <laughs> no no I have a worse story that in, and this involves you and you you ought to remember this oh I'm sure it's the first day in Oregon yeah do you remember this and I was not riding particularly well yeah um, and you and I were both kind of we were off the group of 20 that rode away from us in this road race and we were up on this flat before the final descent and you were by yourself and I was by your by myself and I caught you and there were like two teammates just ahead and oh, you your, and I, your team my team, your team and I thought hey, I think I can get to these guys but I have to use, use Mark, Mark to get there yeah and you know he's he's a motor he's just and I just kind of let, held a little bit back and then boom I, oh, <laughs> I yeah. jumped him up and I, I really did feel bad oh, you, you, you know, fucking I, jumped me bad that, I, I just remember in. that I'm like what the, what the fuck hey we're friends yeah. you know <laughs> it's like Which I is, couldn't help myself yeah. it's so bad and it wasn't because I'm gonna fuck Mark but I'm just gonna fuck this guy that I'm riding the, with yeah it's, so that anonymous. I can get to my guys nothing personal and yeah. I, I it worked yeah so <laughs> Whatever, but yeah, I mean, but I'd still fit well because so we, I think we must have been racing 30 masters A and B in the same group that yeah, day. I think so. Because still, just, just having you like there, I mean, I ended up second that day. Oh, right. And held that until, until, the, 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 until the worst day I've ever had on a bike. Yeah. Which is. came shortly thereafter. Oh, you? Oh, well, I did because I dropped out <laughs> the next day. Oh, that same race is it? Yeah, yeah. I was in is this uh, not low carb, but what was I doing? A uh, paleo. Paleo, paleo kind of. becomes low carb pretty quickly. Yeah, that's what happened, and I had absolutely nothing. In no the gas. Yeah, no. Mm. I had never felt that bad in my life. And but that day, I still had some some carbohydrates, some glycogen on board, so it was okay. Yeah, day one. That, that yeah. was um, so. It's three days. 
So whatever happened, so it must have been time trial and crit the second day, yep. and then the big that, road. That went okay. Yeah. And then the next day was that long 110 mile whatever. Yeah. And it was oh. the first climb I went. Oh. I think I need to not be here. Yeah, so that means you probably drove by me on the road when I was by myself for 47 miles that day. <laughs> yeah, oh, I remember, because I, I gave you a ride down that day. Yes. Yeah, it yeah. was cold it was and cold. shit. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the <laughs> day three of this stage race, I'm, I'm sitting in second. I'm pretty sure I can, like, I can, might be able to meet, beat the studio. There's a guy from Jackson. I think his name is also Mark. Yes, that's who I bridged to. Mark, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can remember his name. Um, his name. And... But then, and so I'm thinking, oh, it's pretty good. I have no pressure because I'm sitting in second. doesn't matter. So Mark gets caught pissing in someone's front yard on the start line. He gets DQ'd. They put the race leader's jersey on me like five minutes before we started that day, that race. And it was raining. Oh, and it was just like a fucking miserable day. DQ'd for public. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. Linares. Mark Linares. Linares, yeah. yeah. And then, um, and so I make it probably 26 or 27 miles into the into the race and then drop my chain oh, and it wedged in between oh. the, the the crank the, the spider uh, on the crank and, and the frame and it took me for like i couldn't get it out and so the race went up the road and here i'm in the, you know by myself with the jersey on with the fucking jersey oh. and so i time trialed 47 miles before some dudes caught me from the back and dragged me to the base that last climb and then then they just dropped Hobbled me up. yeah so i went i think i went finished 16th overall or something from but it was just it was so fucking miserable that it just like riding and looking back and i see these guys back there and i'm just thinking fuck if i just wait but my ego won't let me wait or whatever but then there's these other guys that i'm kind of chasing and somehow there's part of me that thinks i can catch him just the mm. fucking and you have the legs to do what you need to do yeah barring that drop chain yeah uh, potentially yeah. you know i mean you i think, think. Um, Disaster strikes hard when you have the jersey on. No, you'd be in the pack just enjoying yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think so, that's why I had to drop you on that, right? Because that was Linares up the road. And yeah. I knew you guys were doing yeah, the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So that, that same day, he finished. He was, yeah, he was in yeah. first for the first three stages. Yep. For, well, for all four stages, really. <laughs> so my tactics did get better. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually. And that was late enough for me in the, you know, that I, could, that I was only mad for a short period of time. Because... <laughs> <laughs> fucker. But if, it's, but if it's a teammate, you know, you're just like, oh, I get it. You know, I'm here racing as an independent. I can't expect, you know, friendship to... <laughs> Trump, Trump. Uh, so, oh, Mark you know. Linares was on your team. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got you. And I think I had actually done the math. I remember Mark was in the B yeah. race. I was yeah. dropped out of the A race, and yeah. And then this situation presented itself. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm going to go help Linares get up the road, mm. and and I did, and yeah. it worked out great. So, have you guys only like raced against each other or rode together? There's no like, other way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whenever you go out, it's a we, we never shared, shared the same jersey, so yeah. yeah. Okay. Even then, <laughs> at this level, there's no such thing. <laughs> I, I remember wearing the same jersey as many people and being like, what in the fuck are these people doing? Yeah, there's no such thing. If you can do it right, though, it's sure, really yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. for sure. And occasionally I've, I've experienced that, but it is more rare. For sure. Yeah, it's, it's funny where, I mean, it's probably one of the few sports where, you know, people on the same team are actively racing against each other. Yeah. 
You know, they're like, yes, we're all headed towards the same finish line because we are in the same event and, you know, whatever. But it's, yeah, the, the very brief time that I spent on a team, it was just like nobody could decide who was going to be the guy that mm-hmm. day. Like, look, I'm happy to work for someone. And that just You guys just need to figure out who it is. You, you know, you know what, that I have the engine yeah. and I'm happy, okay? Mm-hmm. Crafty. You want to be the guy today? Great. Then you've got to then then you deliver. Better. Deliver exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like at the start of the race, everybody wants to be the man, but who's delivering at the end? <laughs> Nobody. Well, Nobody it, wants to do that like three quarter of the way. Like I'm the guy. No, not <laughs> nobody wants to be the guy three quarters of the way. Well, and the cool thing about it, and and what makes teams who can do it so effective is that it just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So yeah. If you just do it a little bit, you, mm-hmm. you're going to kill everybody. Yeah. Just have a few slaves who are willing to just die on the front, mm-hmm. and suddenly you're going to win. Or have someone on your team who just loves being on the front <laughs> and doesn't give, you know, like, just like, I just, it's, for me, this is a race about toughness. I just want to be out here and be yeah. fucking stupid. And then after, I'm going to bitch about all the people that hide behind me. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to feel good about myself. Exactly. That's a really sucking song. The bigger the team, we had a pretty large team, especially in the Cat 3. Oh, we finally Canyon. worked it out. Yeah, yeah, Canyon was a big team. Most of them were fucking losers, but... <laughs> We, there was a couple guys that we could be like, okay, like out of the three of us, let's just announce who feels good and be honest about it, and then the rest just kill themselves for if we can get somebody to win. And that worked really well because he at least trusts a couple of guys. So me and Zach worked that. I, I've got a couple wins, and he has a couple wins because of that. Yeah, which yeah, is, like I said, yeah when it works, it works it, because right. yeah, most of the time he felt better than me. <laughs> I mean, I did, I did a race in La Grande, Oregon, with a one-two thing, and we had – Five guys in a seven-man break. Oh shit! Oh, and got <laughs> and got beat. What? Oh, like really? I mean, come on. Wait, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> Kurt fucking Willett, who, who arguably is a national caliber kind of guy. Yeah, he's like, oh, if the Georgia's guys, they are going to take me right to the line. And oh, we did. Fucking no organization, no discussion, just. <laughs> Drilling it on the front, and Kurt beat us. <laughs> it's classic. <laughs> That's why we were the laughing side. I, I was going to say that does sound like you set yourselves up for the oh yeah the reputation. So oh, that's pretty good. For, yeah. Forgive my ignorance, but what exactly are the tactics of a team in a bike race? Like, are you like forcing people back, like varying them off? And then working to that would be cool because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I imagine. Like, I imagine like. Getting in front of people and fucking you can. It, it depends on the style. I'll let I'll let you. I'll let Brian take the uh, the overall tactics. Yeah, yeah. Being the guest of honor here. Uh, yeah, right. Um, well, as you know, probably it's thirty percent easier to ride behind somebody, right? So weaker, more savvy people who are willing to ride behind someone or have to ride behind someone have an easier time of it. And so, yeah, you need someone to generate the pace. And so that's level one of the tactic, right? You have somebody willing on your team. Someone dumb enough. And you cycle <laughs> through, right? Yeah. Don't you cycle Well, there's through. some of that. Yeah. You can have your own team cycling through, or you can have them intermix with people who are also dumb enough to cycle <laughs> through. But you need to have somebody who stays out of the wind until yeah. it matters. And what, you know, deciding when it matters is a hill 
or some sort of technical feature or simply just an all-out acceleration to get away from people. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you need to create a separation either with uh, an individual or a group of individuals that separate themselves from the pack with usually an acceleration or a terrain feature that creates that gap and then you have to keep it. So, because you don't yeah. want to like if there's a if there's fifty guys in the field, you don't want to have it be a race between fifty guys right. at the finish line. So you're trying to whittle the race down to as few other racers in the you know the group that's animating the racer up front yeah. as possible. So if if you could go if you could keep, make it you know seven or eight guys, uh, th- then your uh, chances are better. Your chances are way better. Yeah. yeah. And so you're trying to and, and the odds, the chances thing there is really downplayed but 50 percent of cycling is luck like you dropped a chain when I, w- I was after three days in a stage race i was in first place and i like got blown off the side of the road and it like broke a derailleur like it's just luck sometimes flat tire yeah. is the obvious yeah. one yeah. these oh, other mechanical windy tour the depot yep yeah oh was a you were in that race, race? yeah like, really windy yeah, yeah the six, i went home for that 60 mile an hour yeah bus. i went home yeah. i got out of like at the hotel like Huh. Yeah. I had 65 mil wheels on. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Fat walls. It was my fault. Again, okay, so some oh, luck, funny. some stupidity. But I, I, I was in first place in that time trial by two minutes. And then I was, uh, it blew off the side of the road, broke my bike. Interesting. Yeah, the yeah. wind literally. We were racing the same literally This literally like, me up and threw me in the ditch. Yeah. 2010? Yeah. This, I think this would have been, yeah. Don't, don't make any assumptions about how light I was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, it yeah, was really windy. Yeah, and and the year before in the Tour of the Depot is the year, or was it two years before, where we were in the in the group and you were watching me and you're you're watching me like don't don't fucking look you're you're riding in a group with a bunch of dudes don't look at your back wheel right now because I think my brake is rubbing <laughs> yeah yeah and oh, so God, I'm, I'm awful I'm fucking like looking trying to reach to open the lever <laughs> oh. and I you know and then I touched the wheel in front of me and fucking decked uh, it shit. 28 miles an hour watched it and oh. yeah I was, so, I was so excited to be like, racing with you I, and then I was like what the fuck is on the ground god I forgot about that yeah. oh yeah I and, felt and awful did like undid my what had been a very successful shoulder surgery like <laughs> oh, a year and a half previously. Yeah. But that was like one of the, and I never did it again. I learned that lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that year wasn't windy. It was, it was a year, maybe the next year or whatever after that was that super windy mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And we got, and I was actually on a racing for, for Big Ring that year. And, and like it's super windy and the fucking echelons form and I wait with my guy. Like, I, I could have, you know, I was there, I was, you know, jumped on the tail end mm-hmm. of the leading echelon. And then I look back and Mike mm-hmm. didn't make it. And so I just thought, I'm strong enough. I'll just go back and bring, bring, him, back up. bring him back up. Yeah, no. terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Not in that wind. No, not in that wind. No, no nobody's strong in that wind. Fucking that was amazing. That's that's you were there. there. Yeah. And then the, was the year after that was the blizzard? Oh, the Antelope Island? That, no, 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 no. <laughs> that was Tour the Depot. Okay. Or, or I, maybe after they changed the name, because they changed the name to something else. I can't remember what they changed it. Mm-hmm. Same course. Same road course. Um, 
But we started and it was a full out blizzard, like an inch of snow on the ground. Yeah, I was not there for that. I had, so I did the whole like I zip tied baggies over a pair of gloves and then put winter gloves over the top of those. Did the like it was that was one of the most miserable experiences of my life. Next to the Antelope Island one, yeah. which is pure yeah. hypothermia. Uh, yeah, there, there's few experiences of cold <laughs> that rival riding a road bike in a blizzard or downpour in certain temperatures. It's awful. It's it's shocking. <laughs> Unique. People would be like, "You should be, you know, used to this, you know, because you've been cold in the mountains." Like, you like, never let that, yourself get this cold in the mountains because you'll fucking die. <laughs> that's Here, what I said. And you have clothes to put on. Yeah, exactly. You're <laughs> 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 and a stove. And You're a not tent. wearing your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a buffet on. Thank you. Would, yeah. Yeah. You're not actually creating wind chill <laughs> <laughs> on purpose. It is funny what such an arbitrary organization of people and and like an idea of competition, what that can get you to do. Like what yeah. a bike race can get you to do that you would never like sign up for if you knew that that was coming. But under the guise of, are oh, you going to ride this bike over this distance with a bunch of people? Like, okay. And then it starts raining. You're like, oh, I can handle a little bit of rain. I'll get a jacket. Starts, you know, wind comes in. You're like, yeah, it's kind of cold, but I have neoprene or whatever. <laughs> and then it starts snowing and you're like, this Fucking sucks, yeah. but nobody else is. Out? But nobody's no. quitting, and no. you're like, "Well, I can't be the fucking guy who quits." <laughs> yeah. and, and you don't like these people. You call them stupid all the time. <laughs> you, you won't do what they are unwilling to do, and yet you feel such a bond to them in those moments of suffering. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's awesome! Like, yeah, yeah. it's it is unfortunate that cycling is going the way it is because it's a it's a such an extremely useful sport for understanding yourself and how you have a pack mentality oh yeah but it's also i mean i think a lot of understanding comes from the the volume of training required the duration required the sheer amount of time that you're actually doing the thing and there is often nothing no alternative but to be introspective like you were forced into conversation oh, yeah. with yourself, oh, which doesn't happen, you know, in more, let's say, team-oriented events or certainly shorter duration. Wait a minute. You talk to yourself while you ride? Shit. I thought I was the only one. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I was talking to you. <laughs> it, t- it takes me about a half an hour to get that, like, external verbal going oh. of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude. <I'm> mumbling. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> And I and that there's no lack of conversation going on in your head. Never <laughs> stops. Never. Never stops. stops. People are like, how can you ride without listening to music? Are you kidding me? I have a great the time. The conversations in my head. I yeah. don't need music. <laughs> Which says that the introspection thing is a very like interesting because there's very few things that will allow for that much thinking, even in the, given the time domain, but especially in like this like day and age, mm-hmm. no one yeah. does anything for long time when when it's just you in your own head yeah and i i think like why i bought a bike it wasn't to race again it was actually because i noticed that that part was missing i have no real time like there's always a distraction now like even if i'm by myself even if i'm in the gym there's just a distraction there's a phone there's a thing but when you're writing i can't check my phone like right you just can't i mean you can but you're an idiot you get hit or you fall (laughs) off the bike i mean for whatever reason. So I got it because I was like, man, I really missed that part where I was thinking so much that, yeah, you'll think about some dumb shit for sure. Like 90% of the stuff that you're doing, thinking about is normal problems, blah, 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 blah. The fight with your spouse, whatever the hell you're thinking about. And then that moment hits when you're just like, oh, these ideas are generating. And now I like you get going and you feel like tingles because 
that's basically, I don't maybe that's what enlightenment is supposed to be, but it's tons of suffering, tons of time on a bike. And then you get these little windows of clarity where you're like, this is why I like doing this thing in the moment or right before you're like, fuck bike racing, fuck riding a bike. I don't want to put my shoes on. It's cold outside. It's too hot outside. And then you go and do it and you get these experiences like, okay, fuck. I got to figure out a way how to do that. I think it's also one of the few tools where you can <clears throat> really, really dig yourself into a deep hole. Because mm. I mean, especially if you're in, you, I mean, you live in a place where all the rides are kind of out and back, you know, and just like man, so I was pedaling and suddenly I woke up and I was in like Morgan, <laughs> Utah, or something, you know, like fuck, I need. I guess I better get a Coke or something. I'm not going to make it back. <laughs> Otherwise, like, like it's, it's, it, it's a, it's a really useful tool that way to, to gent. Cause you know, running, I just, and, and maybe it's because I don't run well or it's uncomfortable for me. And, and I, I guess an adept runner would probably say the same thing. Like, yeah, I can get myself into a pretty dark place or, you know, really, really exposed place and then have to turn around and fight my way back. And that's when all the good stuff happens. But um, but for me, it was like the bike was always the way to do it. Yeah, I, I, I've tried to do it with running too. Running has a different thing that I think goes along with it. Um, I relate it to you're seeing things in more detail. So that's the distraction. That's why I don't think it's the same. Like you, you see, you know, let's say you're riding. Uh, oh, just because to, of the speed of movement. Right. The, the speed with which you're moving through the environment. So you're yeah. seeing more detail. You're seeing like animals, squirrels, blah, blah, blah. But on a bike, you're seeing things at a certain pace that don't allow you to focus on them. You're still moving at quite a clip. And I remember the distance, uh, like the, uh, a big difference that I made. Like I ran, I was in Johannesburg and I ran in Johannesburg out in this area. <laughs> well, which, as you would. It's a terrible <laughs> idea. They warned me not to do it. I did yeah. it anyway. But it, it was interesting to like look at the little nuances of being, it was the same area that would go to. And there's trails and there's all sorts of weird stuff. But it didn't feel the same as riding that area, mm-hmm. which is really bizarre. And you just like, when I think about running there, I'm like, yeah, it was a weird desert experience. But when I think about riding there, I was like, it's like a fucking jungle. So the perspective, it's the same place, but the perspective changes. And so I think you're right that the bike offers a different viewpoint to wherever you're at. And I mean, maybe this goes over most people's heads that don't <laughs> know what we're talking about, but it has nothing to do with competition. It has to do with like exercising your body to the point that your brain starts to work on its own. Yeah. Or, or, or just using fatigue to <laughs> suppress prejudice in some way. Like, uh, like just, you know, you, you, at a certain point you're tired enough overall that you can no longer direct your thinking. It just happens. It, and so did either of you get something similar from climbing? I mean, because it's a lot of fucking walking. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Okay. Walking would be the closest thing, walking yeah. a mountain. But you still have to attend to certain terrain details that you don't yeah. have to on the bike. Yeah. The bike is just so much dis- absence of distraction, mm. well, especially if you're on an open road without a big traffic thing to worry about. You just... It's it's so clean, and then and you don't get that. I don't get that running. I don't get that yeah. uh, walking in the hills, yeah. for instance. Yeah, even like going up the skin, even if it's a prepared skin track or whatever, because yeah, you're because the minutia of like, yeah, I mean, you're all constantly thinking about 
stride length, body mm. position? Do I need to get more over my skis to make my skin stick yep. better? Do you know, mm. there's all this even even you know skinning uphill. There's there's all this stuff that you're super focused on the actual movement mm. itself. But on a bike, I think once you're you know, I still think about pedaling a lot, mm. but you know, there were periods in the past where I didn't think about it yeah. as much. Just just go and and are therefore sort of liberated. Yeah, I totally form. agree. I totally agree. It's unique that way. Yeah. And maybe I don't even know. So, like, I've I've spent a lot of time in a pool swimming, right? But I, I swimming is so technique driven. Yeah, I do think a lot about arm position. You know, catch all that shit. And yeah, it's never it's never as liberating in terms of that mental sort of activity. You're, mm-hmm. I'm super focused. Rowing, exact same thing. I am focused to the stroke when I'm on an erg. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think about much about except what those numbers tell me. Yeah. yeah. For an hour. But that's like in your, that's because the feedback is yeah, immediate and in your face. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's not. And, and all I'm doing is attending to the, the discomfort versus the numbers. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And you know that like that, that at the end of that row or halfway through that row, you're not going to be in a place where you can buy a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be exactly where you fucking yeah, started. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like, the, the romantic part about riding a bike is like, well, you can ride your bike to a fucking store and get off and buy a sandwich. You can rarely run trail to a store. Yeah. Like, no, <laughs> Or the, no, but there's the thing about like being like too deep on a ride somewhere and pulling up to the convenience store in the middle of no, the oasis, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and just like sort of like, I don't think I look fucked up. When I walk in. Yeah, you salt stains. Like, you can't stand up. Right. Oh, you ain't from around here, are you, boy? Got those fucking weird shoes on. Yeah. And like, clippity cloppity, clippity cloppity. Man, that horse rider looks really strange yeah. in this gas station. What the hell are you wearing, oh, man? Oh, yeah. Are you a superhero? At least you don't get that anymore. But then, yeah. where'd you ride from? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, I can tell. Yeah. yeah, you're from the city, ain't you're you? You're a long way from home. <laughs> you better get two of those hostess fruit pies. Yeah. I still don't know. <laughs> Hostess fruit pies. <laughs> no, he's right. Oh, I know. <laughs> I he's, know. he's fucking know. But The fact that there wasn't even a question of what to get, the question was of how, how many. many? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do I need the 20 ounce or the liter of Coke? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to bring me so I got drink half and put the other in my water bottle. Yeah. yeah. So the really interesting, oh, an, well, another factor is that uh, maybe that I, I think it makes it different than other other aspects of training like training in the gym can offer some experiences very few that are that enlightening but they do offer it but the buy-in is huge you have to learn so many things same with like rowing the technical aspect of rowing huge and i don't know about schema and i'd like to learn more but i imagine from what you describe as skinning technical as can be well no not not so much as these other things that you've mentioned even once you skin you know you can go uphill okay you may do it poorly, but you're still going to get to the top. <laughs> so yeah. on a bike, uh, over yeah. the past couple of years, I've had like maybe once or twice a year, I've gotten on a bike and done something completely idiotic. Um, okay, it, share. <laughs> <laughs> so I found well, the first. So I'd been off a bike for two years, but still training and you know doing a little bit of running. Nothing endurance wise. The only thing that I had to back up my confidence in order to do this thing was that I had been commuting on a fixed gear bike around London. 
And then I got uh, an opportunity to just go to Mallorca for 10 days. And all I knew about Mallorca, I didn't even know where it was. But all I knew about it was that pros go there and they ride bikes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay. Like, so I, I haphazardly just looked up. I was in my shitty little Airbnb that I was staying at. And I just like Google, sir. I was just training at a gym there. So I was just going to this CrossFit gym, going to the beach. And then I was like, this seems shallow. Like I'm in a really weird place. I haven't seen it yet. So I just looked up a rental bike and I'm at the time, 210 pounds. So 30 pounds heavier than when I last rode a bike. (laughs) And I was like, so I, and consciously, you know, this, I fucking am well aware because there was some foresight. I don't know why I did this, but even though I hadn't been on a bike, when I packed to go work in London, I packed a fucking helmet and I packed some, spandex and some shoes i don't know why i did that but then when i had them i was like well i'll just bring them just in case something happens well it wasn't a plan but now that i look at my equipment that i have i guess i better do this thing so i look up for a uh, rental bike in the area and i find this website you can get a fucking brand new modeled canyon with di2 this like electron it's the nicest fucking bike you can yeah, possibly yeah. get carbon wheels twelve thousand dollar bicycle 100 yeah, percent for 50 bucks huh? for like two days <laughs> and i was like oh that's happening yeah. <laughs> it's a given so i rent this bike and then i start talking to uh a kid that works at the gym i was just asking him, hey uh, do you know anybody who knows about riding a bike and he's like well i ride bikes and i was like whatever <laughs> turns out he's a latvian olympic triathlon uh, triathlete. Mm. So he's like, no, no, I know about riding bikes. He looks different too. Then I was like, oh, cool. So he's like, I have, I know exactly where I need to go. And he's like, I'm going to plan it out. He's like, this seems like a trick. Such a sad guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, oh, God. So he just sends me the map route. And I was like, I don't ask any questions. I don't look at the distance. I just say, how long should it take? And he goes, if you're fast, Five and a half hours. Ooh, it's gonna be a long. And I was like, motherfucker. Oh. But I don't. And I'm look, looking at the loop. And if you've ever been you to Mallorca, s- you said you wanted to see the yeah. island. Yeah. Well, that that was the point was yeah. to go around the island, not around because that would be a couple of days, but to see as much of it as I could in a day. <laughs> so, so I head off, and I feel fucking fantastic to start, which is unusual. But I attribute it to my fixed gear riding around London. <laughs> Which, if you honestly add it up, I'm riding about 90 minutes a day, that's, that's which enough, isn't yeah. insignificant, plus yeah. I'm training on top of that. So it's not like I'm lacking volume. What I am lacking, however, is the ability to go uphill quickly. Yeah. So that isn't there. But for the first like two hours, I'm jamming out, listening to music. There's a cafe here. There's Old Town. I'm seeing things, stopping, taking pictures. I feel great. And then I run into a group of Brits that are there on a cycling vacation and I join them. I start not feeling so good. (laughs) So I ride with them for the next hour and a half. And then I'm like, okay, I got to go the other way. Especially like now I have an excuse to go the other way because you guys are more fit than me and shouldn't be. So I go the other way and I still feel okay though. An hour four. And I notice that there's one more climb and then I'm into the flat area and I can just straight stretch home for it. It's like still 20 miles, but it's flat. So I'm like, okay, there's one climb, 42 switchbacks. Whoa. Is not, it was the biggest climb. (laughs) And about 13 switchbacks in flickers of light (laughs) start to like uh, tunnel vision sets Mm. in the legs start to just, and it just like, I've never blown up so bad in my, the, the blow up in Chicago that I had when we did our hundred mile thing, that 
was the only thing I could compare it to. It, and uh, there was nobody there to egg me on. So I was just like <laughs> weaving around the road. And then the Oasis it was, there's a cafe at the top of the climb. Mm. And I get to the cafe and I like down a Coca-Cola and I think that's going to fix it, but it doesn't because now I'm starting cramping up. So the flat area was 20 miles of every other stroke was like a cramp in my back or my butt or my leg or my quad. See, you will never get that in the gym. Never. (laughs) Not for the same reason. I stopped. (laughs) I stopped to be like, is it worth calling a cab? Like, I need to call a cab to get, I'm not going to make it back. Like it's only 20 miles, but I'm not going to fucking make it. And then I stopped and I was like, I don't have service. Like I never, I never got international calling. I never set up my phone. I was like, fuck, there's no choice. So I just did it. I had you, there was no other way. It, It 20 miles took me probably like an hour and a half or something. And it was flat. Like I should be able to do that in under an hour easily. So, so after I hadn't eaten much the whole time other than like a couple Coca-Colas and some gummy bears. So I like, I got to eat some food. The saddest part is that I order like a calzone. It comes, it's magnificent. It's like this massive plate of food. And I'm like, this is going to be the best thing ever. I take a couple bites and then I get nauseous and I can't fucking wow. eat the food. I start you, like, you were in a dark place. <laughs> yeah. 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 Bike, the bike can take you. Well, Bike, bike and some stubbornness can take you there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I saw the island. Um, I didn't see much after that. Yeah. <laughs> I just laid in my apartment. You were internally focused yeah. at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a great, although it was painful, although, but I can't compare of any other way of having an experience. It would be the same. And I can't even understand how to, like, or even start to comprehend how to like tell people to go do that. Because I'm not fit for a bike, for sure. But you can still experience it, something like that, I think. Maybe. Hmm. I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just, yeah, I'm just pausing yeah, to see how far you're going to take this. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think everybody should try it. Like, I, I, like, go rent a bike and just go for, like, a loop that you can't turn around on. Do the loop. Yeah. Like, get on the loop and do it and, and then see what happens because something bad will happen if it's long enough. Well, and the thing about the bike is you can – Go to that place and probably not hurt yourself. And, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas you try to run that far, yeah, 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 you're yeah. going to snap Fuck up your, half, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you're, that's stupid. But a bike feet will blow wonderful. up. Yeah, something. Yeah, something will break. But not on a bike. Yeah, your mind might. And break. it's shocking too. Like you'd be so fucked up. Like, and, and get off and try and walk, and you're just like, oh man, I'm just so hurt. But then you can get back on the bike, and after like two or three minutes of you know pedaling, you're just gone. like, wow, the power's here still. I don't know how this is possible because I was like, <laughs> not even human two seconds ago. Or yeah, it's yeah. it's it's pretty shocking how which you know contributes to the. I mean, it's just too, it's just so efficient. So my thought, you compared it to walking and my thought is, is why it's so useful. And maybe this has some human tradition. It feels very similar to how somebody would describe a walkabout, like a spiritual journey where you're on your own. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a little bit of romanticizing it, but it feels pretty close to what they say happens. Well, in terms of a traumatic movement, (laughs) walking, you know, that's kind of the standard and through some modern 
mechanization, well, we've done it one better with a bicycle. We've made it more efficient so you can go farther. You see more. it generally hurts less. Or it makes it so you can hurt more. <laughs> well, in any given instant of propulsion, it's, it's less traumatic, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, um, the, the consequences. I mean, the, the, the thing is, you can recover from doing crazy shit on the bike pretty quickly yeah. in order to be able to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so is that the addictive nature of it? Because it is, it is slightly addictive. Yeah. Yeah. In that way, absolutely. And, and runner, runners will say, oh, yeah, I can do high volume on the run until they start riding a bike and like, oh, wow, I can do a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And pay for it a lot less, and that's mm-hmm. the beauty. That's definitely the beauty of it. And do you still train on a bike to support other things? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think as as I become more arthritic and pay higher prices, <laughs> and, and, and pay higher prices for high impact for previous grievances. Yeah, exactly. The bike still is that little sanctuary where I can get volume that I need so that I can go ski for six hours. Fuck either. Oh, it's great. But, but having moved to Alaska, it's mostly mountain bike these days, I'm guessing. It is, yeah. The, the road biking there sucks. I still ride one once in a while, but mm-hmm. mostly off-road because yeah. there's so many trails and Nordic skiing. I get just <laughs> like watching the social media broadcast from Anchorage these days. I'm just like, God damn, it looks good up there. I guess he's only posting, like either the weather's gotten a lot better since I was last up there. (laughs) (laughs) or It's pretty shitty. Yeah. Yeah. When it's good, it's great. I know you're just, you're just fucking chumming the water. You're trying to get, yeah. 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 Absolutely. (laughs) That looks like the best mountain bike ever. Right. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it actually is. It actually, but wait, he's got, he's got skis on his back. He's going to go like he's riding his mountain bike to go ski touring. Yeah. Okay, this, really? Yeah. This yeah. mountain bike to ski touring, ski down. Yeah, so early season, late season, you know, Alaska is, is low. So it doesn't hold snow down yeah. low very, very well. And in early season, it doesn't get snow down low. So, but it's dumping up high. So you can approach things on trails and dirt roads. Uh, via a bike and all of a sudden you're in full-blown winter after a short two-hour walk and it's great yeah and i and i do need to ski uh it's the way to do it so yeah. so what's know. a what's a typical training day for you like or like a like a combo thing that you do like how do you get your volume in well if i have time then you know if it's in the summer then it's a mountain bike ride from my house two and a half thousand feet up trails and such to the base of a peak and then maybe another two and a half thousand feet of you know class three scrambling walk you know hiking whatnot Mm -hmm. and then back down and then ride home Mm -hmm. and you know the, the ride home hardly counts for much except for time out Mm -hmm. so there's some metabolic things that happen there but not much in terms of musculoskeletal impulse Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah that that's kind of my ideal world for sure um in that summertime when i'm not skiing sure and then in the winter what does it look like uh well if i have time then it's yeah then it's a typical ski tour that's okay same and that's anywhere. six to you've done some longer days right? i have had a few longer days yeah seven it seems like last year it was uncanny how many days ended exactly at seven hours hmm. and the, and that was not on purpose it was just big loops 
big peaks, big lines, and then oh, oh, 702 huh, again. You know, so. It's, so to do these, because I, I don't necessarily, I've never ski toured or done anything with that other than some recreational downhill skiing. So, uh, and I understand the, the mechanics of it, but what do you go to do? This sounds like a dumb question because we're all in this stuff for efforts, but when I ride a bike, I do it to do a certain thing. When I'm in the gym, I do it. What, what does ski touring provide you that other things don't? Uh, well, there's a certain joy that you get from skiing powder, for instance. That's that's an obvious one. So sometimes you just go to ski powder, okay. right? And you get this great workout going up skin track to get there, but then you're just lapping. It's, okay. it's not very adventurous. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's some risk there for sure with snow stability and that sort of thing. But beyond that, it's just fun. Yeah. But for me, I get more out of the uh, sort of more mountaineering part. So a little bit of the unknown, but steeper, more climbing to get to what you're going to ski. Sometimes it requires some rope tricks hmm. in the middle of the ski. You know, there's a cliff that you have to repel over to continue to ski or to get to the <laughs> ski line. That's that's like the holy grail. That's what you want to do. And if you have oh. to swing some ice tools somewhere in there, somewhere, yeah. even better. Oh, really? <laughs> like if Especially. I got a pack full of shit and my skis, this is a perfect day. As long as it goes say, well. if, you, if you have to swing some ice tools somewhere in the middle, it's really great, especially if you have them. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, well, so, otherwise you're not going down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're getting rescued. <laughs> you obviously know what these are going to provide. So how do you pack for that, this guy? And this comes from total ignorance because okay. I just don't understand. Well, this is some research, right? Okay, yeah. Um, so you've got to know what the objective is. You've ha- you, usually you have seen it. Yeah. Either somebody else has done it or you've got Google Earth, oh, right. which is a pretty common tool nowadays. Yeah. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Weather.com and Google Earth, those are the best coaches yeah. for training ever. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you just see it. Like, and that's going to go. Or look at that. That's probably a rock band. Uh-huh. And we should bring, you know, 30 meters, 60 meters of rope or whatever. And, oh, the, maybe we should bring a tool, uh, bring some mm-hmm. pitons, you know, that sort of thing. So each, each the pack looks different for each outing. So this seems like the accumulation of activities that you've done throughout your life have ended up to this seems like the ultimate combination of everything. <laughs> Some That's, sort of adventure. Like you're fucking mountain biking up to a scramble to a downhill ski to a rappel to an ice climb up to a to a ski to a back to the mountain bike. Yeah, well, that's funny that you say that. I mean, that is an observation made by many people. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not very, you're not great at any of those things, but you put them all together and you're pretty competent. And that's that's what ski mountaineering is. Okay. You're not climbing at a super high level. You don't have to ski at a like a you know movie level you know what i mean like right. a tgr movie level but you've got to be pretty good because I mean, if you fall in some of these situations you're going to die so you've got to be at least that confident. <laughs> but you don't have to necessarily look pretty right. um and you don't have to climb 513 you don't have to ice climb water ice six but you have to have some endurance and you can get that on the bike or mm-hmm. running or whatever that might be and then you've got to have this skill set and that skill set doesn't come in a season or two, mm. you know, it comes yeah. from it's mountain wisdom, almost yeah. decades worth of accumulation going out there <laughs> individually of all those sports. And then this one activity lets you put them all together. So there's very few people that can even experience this. Oh, 
well, relatively speaking, sure. Yeah. 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 I think if you take all the skiers that will venture into the backcountry, the number that are doing this sort of thing is pretty small. The mm-hmm. number that want to do it is really small. The climbing scares yeah. them. The skiing scares them. Yeah. Why the fuck would you do that? You're going to die. I can, you know. I can just go do laps on short swing. or. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and that's your average backcountry person. And that's great. Because they're not. So, do I have to buy a Tacoma to be able to do this? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I guess it's like a Subaru. Of <laughs> I was going to say Subaru. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because because with a Tacoma, you, you need a place to put the dog in the back. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to have a Subaru. Um, I, well, you're Alaska too, so you need something enclosed in the back. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I have a lot of friends with pickup trucks. Oh, okay, sure. they just don't do as well in snow as as an enclosed vehicle for the most part. So we got talking, um, you know, again over this uh, over the last winter, vis-a-vis fueling for these long efforts, mm-hmm. and some of the changes taking place, sort of in in that that world where, you know, we come from, you know, basically a very you know high carbohydrate, let's say, driven sports, um, in in some ways, especially in the in the public or the, the general consensus about how to feed for stuff. And that's, you know, two or three gels an hour, and it's 100 calories per bottle of liquid that's mixed in there, et, et cetera. And, um, I mean, I, I was in the, involved with the uh, sports street. We were making goo in, in the beginning, you know, when we were testing and developing. I mean, what became Roctane was a product that we worked on for a while that would, you know, get Ziploc bags in the mail of stuff. Like, here, try this. Um, and... and but being also uh, of uh, maybe that generation or something, I think I probably even wrote about it in my first book, was, was the, the, this whole idea of fat, ad, fat adaptation. Because when you're carrying all your calories on your back, all the fuel on, on your back, I mean, fat is the biggest bang for the buck. I mean, it's per, per weight, um, it's, it's, it's the most uh, efficient fuel source that you can carry. Plus, for climbing um, and general ski touring, especially for long stuff, I mean, you, you can use fat as a source of fuel. There's no real high intensity, you know, necessary. So mm-hmm. if the energy yield is a bit low, it doesn't really matter. Um, and, you know, that whole idea has developed over the last couple, you know, let's say two decades or whatever to the, um, the idea of um, maybe, yeah, e- eating fat outside of training and eating fat, you know having a higher fat diet in order to sort of drive that fat adaptation training in a certain way to drive fat adaptation for fuel because we all carry some on board um, and now with the sort of advent if you will of exogenous ketones um, being uh, it makes the whole idea of fat supplied energy way more accessible and takes away the need for, you know, all, all of the sugars and that kind of thing. Tell us a little. Uh, I mean, how do you feel yeah, like, for those seven hours? Well, no, but just but like the idea, because I know it was a couple of guys here. Like you were just sort of dabbling in the exogenous ketones um, because of some of the guys, the schemo guys here in Salt Lake, were yeah. using it not only as energy source but also body recomposition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that. You know, I have some passing interest in the whole fat thing because I remember stories about the best triathletes during my era yeah. in the 80s. 
they were, you know, washing their cottage cheese. It was so fat phobic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I grew up during that, eating a 70% carbohydrate diet. I took a nutrition class, so I was measuring that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm eating a half dozen bagels a day. And putting no fat in anything, avoiding olive oil, avoiding mayonnaise on my sandwiches. Bagels, no cream cheese sounds like Absolutely. torture. Yeah. <laughs> Literally going to class with right. a bag of bagels, nothing on them. I can't have any of that cream cheese. That's yeah. fat. I mean, it's crazy. And then hearing about, um, was it Tenley or Dave? Alan. Alan, Alan. yeah. And, and he did something really special with mm-hmm. his body. I didn't know what he was doing on the dietary side, but obviously there was... But he's a, a Maffetone guy, so... Yeah, and there was a big intensity level thing that he mm-hmm. was managing. And I thought it was all intensity, and I didn't... I thought, you can't eat yourself to fat adaptation until recently. I mean, I feel <laughs> the, embarrassingly ignorant about that. But then a year ago, yeah, we came across... I was feeling a little fat having moved to Alaska. You know, fat's all relative, but 10 pounds... And I'd never been 10 pounds heavier than I wanted to be. And so being vain, like, how do I get rid of this? You know, why is this happening? I'm snacking a little too much on carbs. I mean, drinking a little beer, which I never really did. And Alaskans do. And so when um, Tom mentioned... Part of the mandate with your your Alaska driver's license. There's a a couple of pints of uh, IPA every day. But when Tom mentioned, oh, yeah, I just cleaved off the weight. It was ridiculous. As soon as he went on a ketogenic diet, I just went, woo! And right down the rabbit hole I went, you know. And that's when I talked to Mark, and Mark said, "Eh, you should talk to this guy. (laughs) And that's, that's what started that journey a year ago. Okay. It's only been a year then. It's yeah. only been a year. That's really I mean, I guess my, my friend, I had a kid who, uh, that I know who raced for Garmin. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of talk about Danielson and his, you know, one-eighth Inuit uh, heritage. And he could become <laughs> a better fat burner. And he was eating avocados on training runs. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, what a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> you can't eat yourself into that. And, you know, I was wrong. And I don't know how much of that lore is true, but I, so I was aware of it a few years ago, but it wasn't until Tom said this and I started feeling fat that <laughs> so I, just, was, I decided to do it. So a little bit of vanity caused you to do something that in return turned into a, a huge benefit performance-wise. Yeah, it, it, it paralleled. I mean, I, I also understood the ergogenic part of it. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so. we've had an interesting history with this because this is, I, I mean... Uh, I've de- uh, when I was first trying to cleave in, in stealing your term uh, lean mass uh, in order to ra- uh, race a bike, well, you'd, uh, you'd basically lost as much fat as you could, and if you were going to get any lighter, yeah. you were going to be burning. Yeah, it was just tissue. burn muscle tissue. So we, the first time that this came up in, in my own uh, world was yeah, just I, I started maybe I don't know, in. 195 I was up to around 195 and then I got interested in endurance sports and the lowest I could get because I wasn't fat at 195 <laughs> the lowest I could get was 185 and that and I looked really thin like I'm six foot two so I it looks like I'm gone but in order to race a bike it was about just getting down to you the absolute to be bottom. more gone. Right. <laughs> so I hit the bottom. And we're talking like there was a period in 2010 where like a six-month period where I wasn't eating more than uh, 1,700 calories 
I was training an average of 26 hours a week on a bike, not including gym stuff. 1,700 calories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was not losing any weight. And because I understood fat metabolism, I delved a little bit into low-carb stuff, and I was starting to just play with, you know, fats. And nothing at the level that's around today where we understand how MCT really works, but I was was converting everything into, like – cooking with coconut oil, not using anything like caprylic acid based or fucking butter coffee or any of that shit. But to the point where my carbohydrate was low enough, like if I go back and look at the logs, it was definitely under a hundred grams a day, mm-hmm. riding close to three hours a day. Wow. Um, so I was definitely in a, a state that was fat adapt- adaptation. It should have been. Should have been. Yeah. yeah. And I ran into a problem where I couldn't drop any muscle mass. Like I, I would just get weak and then I would. You're uh, not lifting? I, I was lifting still. Yeah. I was still well, lifting two to three times a week. Well, is that, is that the problem? Is that the stimulus creating the problem? No, it actually ends up being. So we had this conversation. So this becomes a really interesting point of how this kind of fast forwards to this. Because what I was doing with low carb and really extreme volume for, for what was happening um, has to do with ketogenesis so deriving ketone body so we got on this uh, with mark i was going back and forth like mark i can't lose like i'm not dropping weight i'm not fucking eating anything and i'm in a <laughs> the worst mood i've ever been <laughs> yeah. the math just doesn't work out like uh, yeah i'm a bit i'm still a believer in calories in calories out is ultimately what dictates but this makes no sense and it turns out there there is some stuff that will now today that will show why this happens. And Mark ended up reaching out to Rob Wolf. Rob Wolf got involved and then pointed to something that was really obscure and said, well, maybe the low carbs, there's something with like ketone bodies being able to communicate um, basically through mitochondria and a couple other uh, actions that will help you maintain, like it'll stave off the catabolic effect of a deficit. I'm like, oh, that's really weird. Hmm. It ended up... I mean, that, you've like found that email conversation from like 2010. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was the last de- couple of months. December 2010 when I was going through stuff and I was like, holy fuck, we were talking about this stuff so long ago. And fast forward, like we'd go through the whole game, but I eventually gave up on that, failed it, came back around. I reprogrammed it so it was actually a little bit higher carbohydrate. I was able to drop down another six pounds oh, really? because I actually upped carbohydrate in limited fat and then changed some other some other aspects. Um, it did it slower, more moderate, actually worked better. You limited fat. Yeah. In, in order to have an impact on calories? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, cal- or substrate. Yeah, yeah. And because I was unaware still. Like, I understood the mechanisms of ketones, but I was unaware of uh, that balance. So I was able to... Uh, the biggest difference was I didn't go directly into an extreme deficit that caused a reaction... And I upped to carbohydrates so the energy source was different than fat metabolism. Um, but that being said, that that's not none of those experiences were healthy and or relevant to like what I would do today. Mm-hmm. But fast forward, oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's it's, it's funny because we think back. Oh yeah, 2010 in terms of like fat adaptation and that kind of thing. Ah, that's that's a long time ago. And I go, well, I, you know, when I. Start, like I was an early adopter, if you will, of the zone diet, which you, like I look at the distribution of, you know, 40 percent carbs, 30 percent protein, 30 percent fat and just think like that's an ungodly amount of fat. I mean, in like 1995, that would be considered an ungodly amount of fat, you know, just percentage wise. 
Um, and so, you know, like, I think it must have been Jeff Wigand who turned me onto it. And so I got the book and I read the book and I like got the scale and the calorie count book and everything and like weighed and measured and did that for a while and like immediately dropped 12 pounds. Um, and, but then was going out in the winter um, to ice climb and ski tour and being fucking cold all the time. And so I'm starting to think, maybe I'm not getting enough fat. Like maybe 30%, which I thought was high, is actually not enough. And maybe, or maybe because a zone type of diet necessarily ends up as a calorie-restricted diet um, for a variety of reasons, maybe I'm just not getting enough calories. And so I started having this conversation with um, the Sears Institute at the time. And basically, the, the guy told me, he goes, look, Okay, you're an athlete, this, that, the other thing, this is, the, you know, you need to handle this a little bit differently. You can increase the amount of fat that you have. So uh, um, I'm like, not 40, 30, 30? And he said, no, 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 you can, no, just bump it up. If you're normally having like, you know, five blocks of fat per meal or whatever, then you, you, you can just basically increase that. And so I went on what I called the 40, 30, 200 diet, <laughs> <laughs> where I was eating 200%, 40% carbs, 30% protein, 200% fat. <laughs> and I was like, I could go for fucking ever. I never had to wear gloves. Um, in the cold, basically. And How are you getting that fat and much fat in? Yeah, oh, just like, like oh, drinking sh- olive oil? Shot, or- shot glass of olive oil was, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know I mean, that was the, the standard thing. But that was just like because of legend, because <laughs> yeah. of Yvonne Chouinard told me at one point, he's just like, oh, yeah, we were in Antarctica and, you know, everyone was super cold. And, and uh, we got back to the tent after climbing Vincent or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. And everybody was just shivering and shivering. And I just hmm. fucking, like, took the bottle of olive oil warmed it up till it was liquid and fucking like like took drank two swallows of olive oil and he said within five minutes far faster than you would have been able to assimilate those calories but he said i was i was warm within five minutes which is basically signaling you know what the hypothesis at that time that we had was okay you give your body fat and you're signaling your body that that you know even if you're an extreme caloric deficit um, you're signaling to your body there are more calories on the way, and therefore yeah. it can release stored fat mm-hmm. for thermogenesis. For, for, for thermogenesis, instead of like guarding it for like long-term survival yeah. and procreation and shit. That's um, fucking fascinating. And, and the whole fat thing, and then people. I mean, and it worked for a a, a really long time until I re- until I got to the point of, um, I would go. Fast forward to sort of 2003 when I got involved with CrossFit and started doing more higher intensity training. Mm. And then a lot of the fat in my diet got replaced with carbohydrate because I didn't think that the energy, like I couldn't maintain the intensity with the diet that I was, that that had been ideal for going 24 hours nonstop. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, not that great for three minutes. Yeah, that's a hard thing for most people to fit. Well, I think the the hardest thing to fathom is we've tried to make a, a good and evil out of yeah. inanimate food objects. Like for, for <laughs> and, and this is actually an argument. Uh, food becomes moral. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh yeah. It's dogmatic for sure. And, and we have our history in it. Like religious history has, there's reasons why they appeal to certain food groups. Like, and that culture has, has, bedded over into our what would you call it i don't know pilgrimage into like what our culture is today like we we carry a lot over those those food rules and 
that are div- derived from a religious divinity, uh, yeah, divine-based food groups, basically. Mm-hmm. And although, okay, we we know that you know manna is not from heaven because now paleo is popular. <laughs> And if you're going to be Christian and paleo, those two things don't fucking work together. So, so we had to demonize something else. Uh, but we've demonized fat. We've demonized carbohydrate. So that is a big source of misinformation that we have to like jump over this hurdle in order to get to, okay, how does it act? How do the mechanics of nutrition actually work? And oh, you've obviously – most of this comes on a one-off scale, and there's a reason why that happens. Like there's a reason you were able to figure it out, but what you figured out didn't disseminate to the thousands of people that listen to you. And that's because uh, when we're talking about what food is good and what food is bad, we're not talking about the food itself. We're talking about the reaction that happens when you apply it to the organism. And that sounds really esoteric and weird, but it's literally – the food doesn't matter. It's your reaction to it. And your reaction can change over time depending on the efforts that you put out and the metabolism that you, you bring to the table. So if I bring a sad standard American diet to the table with an inactivity and a desk job and a 30-year history of just being a fucking pile of shit, then my metabolism isn't going to do what, I, what everybody says it does. And this When you make a dietary change that right. supposedly stimulates a particular... Yeah. Uh, reaction. Yeah. So still today, like you've had a ton of success talking back and forth with, with your success in a ketogenic diet or something very similar. We'll just call it a modified Atkins or a, a low carb, higher fat diet, something like that, because there's, there's also something wrong with this terminology, but you, you've had a, an amazing result from it. Not because the, the thing that you applied to yourself is the answer. It's that its reaction was the answer to the stimulus that you brought, which is, an extreme amount of volume, a lifetime history of activity and metabolism. Like you're generating so much everything like enzymes, mitochondria, all this stuff is regenerating at a rate where it needs fuel. So if I can switch those substrates up, then I can find a thing that is new and and, and different. And I can notice a difference because you're a healthy individual, but you take the same thing you applied to somebody who hasn't done anything their whole life and they might get a result just because of the shift, but more often than not, they just still feel like shit because they're metabolically just deranged. I know that, that has a different meaning, but their metabolism doesn't work normally. Um, insulin, like hormonally, uh, any of these things don't react in a way to food that it should. And it's not the food that's bad. It's that the reaction is bad. And that's the hardest thing to kind of understand about this stuff. Or the engine is bad. I mean, the you know, engine is bad. Whatever. Yeah. Um, so, Brian... We were talking a little bit today on the hike um, about how you're fueling yourself for long-term efforts. And then, like, both of us were in that era of, like, sucking down two or three gels oh, yeah. an hour and, like, thinking that, that you know, I mean, and, and the science at a certain point is, like, okay, the, the, the best, the maximum, num- you know, amount of uh, calories you can absorb per hour is 400, and that's if it's a mix of glucose and fructose and blah blah blah. Um, and it comes from these sources, and it's and it's readily absorbable because the electrolyte profile actually matches oh, what's yeah. going on in your plasma <laughs> volume. Um, but and then okay, and then I, I you know look at the social media feed, and I'm just like, he's doing shots of fucking fat, you know, almond <laughs> butter, nut butter, while he's out on you know out on his skis, which is the exact opposite of. Every Everything we thought was right when we were shooting, you know, liquid carbohydrates into our mouths. Mm. 
Yeah, well, you know, I come at, I come at it for two different reasons. One, I think it's fascinating. That observation Absolutely. is yes. so fascinating. But, you know, it's funny. The irony is I'm still a Goo-sponsored athlete. I mean, yeah. I am a carb fiend that's on their website. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I haven't had the heart to tell them <laughs> what I've done, what I've done, but I might. Yeah. Um, there's a blog post waiting to be written, okay. and that will probably cut the cord, right? They're like, oh, yeah. he's no longer he's- on board. But I did write Magda Brule, yeah. who's their head sports scientist, and I, and I started becoming concerned about how much sugar I was eating. That is not fucking good for you, period. <laughs> yeah. and, and, oh, sure, I'm burning it like crazy. Yeah, yeah no matter how hot the, the furnace is, oh, it's yeah. still sugar. I, yeah, and, I, and I, I believe, and it's just a belief, it's, I can't prove it, but that's, that's not good for a human. And, and there's, it's so artificial. What we do is completely contrived. You know, humans didn't do high-intensity workouts for as long as we do them. And now we're artificially fueling them in a very odd way, uh, which is very recent. And so I asked her, I said, what do you think about this? I mean, do you think this is good for us? And, of course, she's getting paid. Yeah. She's not <laughs> going to cross the party line. And she said, well, you know, I think you should eat a very mixed diet and <laughs> use sugar for fueling. And I was like, oh, that was expected but totally boring. And then I yeah. see on her feed, she's eating avocado and cheese. <laughs> like, you're a fucking high-fat girl yourself, and you won't admit it. So, or, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, and then I think she's yeah. come to where a lot of us have come. I'm not opposed to using sugar. You know, we mm-hmm. discuss this. Fuck, it's and, like like when you're fat adapted and you drop some fucking sugar in, <laughs> it is like nitro. Oh man! So in this so is cool. This is the newer thing. Is where like ketosis or you want to talk about ketone buds? Why they're a, a, effective for fueling is a they're 35 percent more energy efficient than than carbohydrate or other substrates. Namely, they. They compare it to pyruvate. So exercise-wise, uh, ketones beat out almost anything that you can ingest. The, the hard part gets is to create them in your own body, you have to do this deficit. And that's the hard part. So doing this thing, this becomes a problem because you're limiting on your intensity for quite a while or the adaptation takes a while. It's one of the reasons why like people who are uh, researching this, namely Veach and the people who then – doing it for 20 years i mean this is a this is not a new thing like most people think like it may be a craze now but there's 50 years of research that are identifying what these ketone bodies do and understanding how they actually work in metabolism uh but I mean, the handout i gave to the, <laughs> the, the the cast and crew for 300 the nutrition mm-hmm. handout basically included this you know the yeah. the, the uh, one of those articles and this is 2005 about you know fat adaptation and ketone bodies <laughs> um, I mean, it, you know, like going going back and looking at how long we have had this conversation going is actually been pretty shocking. Yeah, and not for the reason why it doesn't seem like it's been happening because I think you, especially, and most of the people that deal with, come at it from a very realistic position, which is yeah, we don't. I mean, <laughs> you sent me a a website probably six years ago, and it was called the Daily Lipid. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Yes, dude, the fora is fucked up. It's basically people that are on not just a ketogenic diet, but what they call like the original ratio, which is eighty-five percent fat. 
Oh. And, and you're limiting oh. protein down to the point where, so you're less than 40 grams of carbohydrate a given, but then you're less than probably 35 to 40 grams of protein because that will inhibit gluconeogenesis, which right. turns into sugar, blah, 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 blah. These are this eating disorder. Yeah, well, I totally it, forgotten that. It looked to me like they were all, everybody who was involved in that website was having a contest to see who could eat the most fat each day. Yeah. Like, awesome. I just went, okay, this is, I, 40, I was like cool with 40, 30, 200. <laughs> but this seems like more closer to like 500. It's the strategy. I mean, that becomes, that becomes a conversation when we're talking about fat adaptation is like, how do you get that much fat in? Because not, like, we're back to this. It's not human necessarily. It's not like a normal thing to shove in 90% fat unless you're just eating seals or like whatever the fuck you're eating, whale blubber or anything Inuit. Like that would make sense. But around the rest of the world doesn't make much sense. So most of these people are chugging cream. Like that's, that's where most – and then we run into problems with IGF. So like you can do it this way, but that's not natural either because that amount of IGF will bump insulin anyway. And insulin regulates glucagon, which regulates ketone body, and then you're out of ketosis suddenly, even though you're eating 90% fat. So – how you do this is very tricky. And one of the interesting parts isn't that a ketogenic diet is the answer or that carbohydrates are the answer or there's a battle between them is that now with certain technological aspects, like you mentioned about exogenous ketones is you can have both in the, I was explaining to this, uh, to Brian right before the show, the data that just came out on mixing the combination of carbohydrates and ketone bodies at the same time improved what they described as hydraulic muscle, uh, muscular activation by 35%. What, like what in the fuck? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. a really bizarre thing. So in, in what I've messed with them in the past and what I've messed with carbohydrate added into this, it changes again. It's not like this is not a normal scenario. Like this is not a human, natural, primitive thing. Yeah, you're not, and you're not going to really recommend it to that many people. No, because, no. Be, just because. Okay, seven hour efforts. You know, <laughs> like the, the the energy utilization is going to be totally different. And like right. you said, it's the, it's the reaction to stuff. So you can't go. Oh well, here, try this and this and this, because that's what worked for us. Like. Um, I highly counsel you not to do this. <laughs> well, yeah, a, a, a Midwesterner writing him an email from the a Cracker Barrel restaurant asking about how to use ketones and glucose isn't going to get the same answer as somebody who's in Alaska doing this oh, kind of stuff. Anybody who writes to me from the Cracker Barrel is <laughs> <laughs> getting a spam folder. <laughs> oh, hell no. I'm, I'm having that conversation. Oh, you are? Yeah. Right. No, I'm just, just going to send You're going to bother. Yeah. I'm um, just going to send her to the Daily Limited. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to say, look, dude, I'm going to help you out, but you got to get me a hat. <laughs> From the cracker barrel. And then, and then at your next stop at the Waffle House, I am also going to need that. <laughs> Just a chain of IHOP, yeah. I got Cracker Barrel. Say, exactly. like, pigs in a blanket. Pigs in um, a blanket. But so I'm, I'm, I'm going to swipe this back and send sure. it to, um, to Brian. Like, so, so now I'm like, let's just say a seven-hour day of effort. Generally low-intensity effort, heart rate's probably going to be let's say 65% of max, yeah. something like that generally, yeah. on average over the, yeah, yeah. Over the time. Um, I know that you, uh, you drink a lot of uh, butter in your coffee in the morning and that, like, and, and that kind of thing. Is that considered sort of, would that be a normal 
breakfast. Yeah, every day. Every day. Every day. <clears throat> 300 cal- calorie cup of coffee times two. Nice. And then I... Variety of fats. Some cream, some MCT, yeah. oil, some... Um, some cocoa butter. Okay. Just five grams just for yeah. flavor. And, um, yeah, and breastfed butter. And then, and then a big, like probably 50 mLs of 30% heavy cream. Okay. Yeah. So like a, yeah, so 600, 600, yeah, 600 <laughs> calories basically of liquid fuel in mm-hmm. the morning yep. and then drive to the yeah, no, so when I was when I was first trying to be really ketogenic, that's all I would have. I'd have a ketone yeah. supplement on the way. Okay. And then per recommendation, I would eat like a, either a, a goo yeah. or a stroop waffle, just something yeah. pretty sugar laden. I love stroop waffles. Oh, aren't they good? <laughs> The s'more flavor rules. What? Uh, anyway, yeah, they're, they're not out yet. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> but um, and then I started. Depending on how long that drive was going to be, sometimes I would have like eggs, okay, and a couple strips of bacon with a half an avocado. I could do that too. Yeah. So a pretty big calorie load on the front end <laughs> and then I wouldn't have to eat for three hours wouldn't do a thing just and I wouldn't even get hungry and or feel like I wanted to eat and then as soon as I got just a little like stomach pain I think huh, I probably should put something down and originally I was putting down sugar of yeah. some sort and now I'm <laughs> doing shots of nut butter or a keto bar which is basically fat and it seems to be working okay. And then hydration, just straight water. Yeah, straight water. Not not necessarily a ton. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a camel. I don't sweat a lot. I don't need it. I can stew it on a water bottle. Did you notice a difference in hydration when you switched to a fat adaptation? Or I would almost say I didn't need much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was doing without. I couldn't believe it. Like, mm-hmm. I'd leave with a 20-ounce water bottle, and I would come back, and half of it would still be there. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 there's weird. been a period for a few years where I just like I'm so fucking sick of like having to <laughs> eat while I'm doing this thing or drink or whatever. And just like, just I, not, you know, I, I show up for a ride and there people look at my bike and they're like, "You don't have water." I'm like, no, mm-hmm. we're only riding for three hours. What the fuck do I need yeah, water? You need anything for? <laughs> yeah, like mild climate. It's so liberating. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. The burden yeah. of having to eat. I mean, I was so religious about that. Two two goo a day, but, like, uh, or two goo an hour. But like, also, yeah, you fucking set the alarm on your watch. Yep. Which I oh, yeah. Oh yeah. But, um, but yeah, there's sort of the, and believing that it was necessary. Mm-hmm. Like the only way I can maintain this level of performance is if I do this. Yeah. Because of whatever. Previous experience, some some obviously social pressure, a little bit of maybe brainwashing and that kind of thing. But um, and then to just to go or to realize, like if you just look at sort of you know any of the posts that Killian puts up about you know his oh, his amazing. fuel, and it's like, oh yeah, I ran for ten hours and I had like <laughs> like five hundred milliliters of water and this handful of berries which I found <laughs> along the way. I was like. like and then I oh. ran to the top of Everest yeah. twice. Yeah, twice. <laughs> yeah with, with two gels. <laughs> it's a bit mutant factor. Like, you can't use the guys. No, no. But an outlier like that, you look at it and you go, okay, well, there's clearly there's something going on here. There's some kind of adaptation that, that he's carrying enough fuel on board on a daily basis to undertake these efforts and recover from them. And that right there is grounds for investigation of some kind. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Uh, there's an interesting th- well there's an interesting fear because i think 
um, how we think of nutrition sciences is like this. It's not the same as physics science. It's not the same as real science. Nutrition is still very esoteric. We understand very basic things about it. Like we understand that glucose is carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen. We don't know how completely it works in the body and we don't know how fat works completely in the body. But people assume because somebody in a fucking white lab coat What's his name? Jalal? No, 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 no. Okay. We can't. Because he was only like half lab coat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Half shirt off, half lab coat. Yeah. But somebody stands in a lab coat and they, they dictate like, oh, I'm a scientist and fat is good. Or I'm a scientist and fat is bad. Or I'm a scientist. They polarize it through the verbiage of science. And so we take that for granted. We, we, we assume that because it's science that it's 100% true and it ha- has been tested. And a lot of the stuff hasn't. And right. there's proof. There's right. proof. And right. and you are going to react the same way as the test subjects in this particular set of conditions. And I think that's the, the you know, part of the fallacy is just like, okay, well, clearly, if you in the lab coats were right mm-hmm. and people were actually listening and doing the thing, um, then we wouldn't be able to say that 70% of the U.S. population is either Overweight or obese? Yeah, it is seventy five percent now. It's not sixty six anymore. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. got to update the stats. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> well, in and on a lighter point than just uh, nutrition, I had this issue with hydration for a long time because I I went down the road of like, oh, you got to drink this many milliliters of water an hour, and you got to do this, and then I noticed just while training, like one day I didn't drink anything. I felt great, no cramps, no no muscle spasms, and I was like. Huh, that's kind of weird. So I never talked about it because it was against what science says that you should drink. And then I and was you, writing. You with, didn't want to be a hero. Yeah, I didn't want to be the guy who was like anti science. I might as well say the fucking earth is flat exactly. by saying don't that I don't drink, drink water. I don't. And I remember seeing in a race, I, I was looking at Mark and I was like, oh, how much, how much water do you drink? And he's like, uh, not very much. And I was like, <laughs> Two heretics. Like, is it okay? Like, I don't, if I don't drink water, and you're like, I think it'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think you'll be fine. Under, under your voice. Shh. Well, and that's what I love about. Don't tell the other guys. Yeah. Just put two bottles. Let on them fill up but their they, bellies. But they're, they're but they're empty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and just put one to your lip every once in a while. <laughs> Spit it out the back. Uh, now we and that that's more what I drink water for during endurance uh, efforts is actually just to wet my mouth it, because I'm a mouth breather. Yeah. If you see these nostrils, they're not big enough to take oxygen. <laughs> so it's just to keep my mouth moist. It has nothing to do with getting actually water in. Well, that's what I love about Tim Noakes because yeah. he's, he's a trained scientist mm. and he loves to just talk shit about all this dogma. <laughs> and he, you know, he, he admits his, his wrongness. Yep. And, but boy, he's willing to do it publicly and get su- you know, sued by the government of South yeah. Africa or whatever the hell went through with that. You yeah. know. I love it. I mean, yeah. it's it's cool, like to go through the waterlogged book and real and have him, you know, delineate like, oh yeah, back in the day when you were running marathons, if you ate or drank, you were a pussy. Yeah. That, yeah. Was like, that was considered weakness. <laughs> and now, you know, like there's a quarter mile of the fucking tables, oh, yeah. which I can like a quarter mile of tables every. Mile. Every mile, yeah, yeah, every mile, yeah, yeah. You know, like with a smorgasbord of fucking <laughs> stuff that I could ingest, and oh. and then to see you know how this whole idea progressed over time to you know 
1200 milliliters a fucking hour and this and that and 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 then you know the marketing the hydrator die marketing base and that kind of thing i mean i i mean i read the science and in my first book extreme albinism and i'm advocating basically that 600 to 1200 milliliters an hour and if you start every 12 hour block of climbing having had three liters before and then you carry three liters because that's what you're willing to do then you can get 600 per hour roughly which is the lower end of what's needed and blah 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 i mean we have the we had it all mapped out about how to actually apply this in the mountains. And then to realize later, like, um, that was really necessary. Shit, I don't need to even own any water bottles now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Joe, I can leave the stove behind if I really want to. Yeah, we're like going on a bike ride, and Joe's like, hey, man, do you, do you, you don't have a bottle. And I'm like, no. And he goes, well, it might go a little bit long. You might want to get one. I'm like, fuck, I don't know if I have one. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I said, like, I had to go, de- you know, t- <laughs> oh, thank, oh, here's one that they sent me for a race I didn't do recently. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty neat how, how the, the actual experience is, has, you know, especially if you pay attention, has so much influence on, like, the experiments that you're willing to do. Yeah. And to, to realize, and, and then you also have to notice the effects of what you do, which is, par, you know, part of the problem with, with pe- people can't, uh, they, they don't under, They don't feel what they eat, mm. and so if it, 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 you've got to be sensitive to that first before you can start making any kind of, um, I think, you know, rational changes to your. Well, I remember once being on top of a peak in uh, in the Chugach above Anchorage, just kind of a long hike, run kind of thing, and I'm up there literally naked, I yeah, have a pair of shorts on and a t-shirt rolled up around my waistband. No yeah. food, no water, and there's a group of hikers up there with their puffies on and all this shit, <laughs> giant backpacks full of food and sandwiches, and they're like, where did you come from? <laughs> Space. Like, You're a little light. I'm like, yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah, right. Have a great day. <laughs> and you're thinking that's a good thing, and they're thinking, like, that motherfucker's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's going to die. We're going to have to gone. rescue him. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, like, he's so irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing I brought my Swiss Army knife. Oh, <laughs> and the other nine essentials. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think a, a lot of this stuff, um, when we're talking about nutrition and hydration, it, it just revolves around what training actually is in, in the end point. It's not necessarily that you want to get fit. It's not that you want to be a certain way. It's that all of this stuff has to do with just teaching you. how You're learning how to take care of yourself. And, yeah. and that is an individual thing for everybody. I'm, I'm, even in the gym, something that you can go do. I'm learning how to not injure myself first. Then I'm learning how to progress. Then I'm learning what those progressions can get me out of the gym. Then I'm learning that once I get to a certain point, I need to eat and drink. And I'm learning what foods and waters and things that I need to take minerals in order to do the efforts the best to my ability. And if we just go on a blanket statement of like, oh, this person said that this is how you do it. Most of the time that doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, most of human recollection is wrong in the first place. So people telling you something, the next part that comes into that is marketing and trying to sell you shit that you don't need. Like you need the puffy, the jacket, the Swiss army knife, the water bottle, the stuff that goes in the water bottle, the powder that goes into the water that you put into your water bottle. And then you need the gel that I can take so I can drink the drink with the water that was in the bottle. But like by the time we're done, we're just, we just have a bunch of stuff. And I think most people would be like, I, I may be relieved to know that you can do a lot without a fucking shitload of stuff. You could just go out in a pair of shorts and fucking experience something, even on a bike. However, but having 
done all of the work that allows you to get there. That's <laughs> not like, right, right, okay, right. dude, just put a pair of shorts on and, right. and, uh, and, and go run up to the top of Snowbird from town. <laughs> you know, or whatever, yeah. and then and then you know traverse and come out bells, and like, <laughs> like, you know I wouldn't recommend. There's guys who'll do that and not even fucking blink. Mm-hmm. And but most people, I mean, it's I don't want to say it takes years, mm-hmm. but it does take a lot of energy and attention and consistency to get to the point where you have the fitness to be able to do that. You have enough personal sensitivity in a way to know that like I don't need that much water I don't need that much food or I do mm-hmm. and and oh yeah my hands get cold so I wear gloves you know or something like that or if I if I you know or man that's actually the lightest kind of piece of gear that I can carry with me mm-hmm. to actually really manipulate my body temperature but no one's talking about that <laughs> <laughs> except the glove manufacturers <laughs> well no they don't they're not even hip to it you know because they could uh, but 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 just that the, the, all of those ideas come from you know having been hungry, having been cold, having mm-hmm. bonked, having been unable to recover, having you know not arrived at the destination that you had wished to <laughs> arrive right. at, and then right. like dealing with you know whatever happens from that. I mean, it's there. There is a, a, a there, there's there's a whole sort of learning and growing process that that is required for it, and I think that is the thing that people are unwilling to do because of this idea of like, oh, but if you just do this hack, or you just do that, you can get this, you can get, you know, time-crunched cyclist fucking training program. Oh, you can only train six hours a week. Well, you know, I'll make you a superstar. Or you can do it in four hours a week, or you can do it in four minutes a day, or you can, you know, whatever. Like, all of these ideas that, oh, no, 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 that whole thing about like, Apprenticeship, journeyman. That no, that's 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 wrong. That's the old way. Now we know the new ways, which is to do this more efficiently. You know, and there's shortcut optimized. Yes. Well, (laughs) and maybe that that's where maybe I should take that back. I mean, because we can talk about how you're using this thing that's 600 calorie drink in order for you to go do these things, and then the guy that might listen to this is like, awesome, I'm going to drink a 600 calorie butter coffee and then go sit at my office all day, and then I'm just going to eat a normal lunch. That guy's going to have a bad experience. So he's, we're not doing the same thing, and maybe I was wrong in assessing that, you know, hey, you can just go out and do these super long, ridiculous efforts that I've done um, that you know, I didn't die on and I experienced some really cool stuff, but there was also a six to 10 year history in learning how to do that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I learned how to hydrate, how to like, when I was getting really fucked up, stop and get a Coke, like do this kind of thing that will support the effort. And, and essentially we're just asking people to fucking train. <laughs> or, I mean, even like just be aware of that. Get experience. Get experience. Get experience. Most yeah. people aren't willing to get experience first. They want to experience. They want to do it now without all the homework and yeah, because the, the hours you need. And that's and that'll you can't and, sell that. No, you can't. Well, you can't sell it. But it also you you can't. Um, that gives you fairly limited access to the experience or to how far you can go or what you can learn from it. Just yeah, I mean, I don't. I hate to say that you should go to school. And not, no, you should. And, I, and so therefore I won't. You shouldn't go to school, but you should get schooled right. because that's the fucking key right there. So like to, 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 to try and fail and keep trying and keep failing. And, um, and I think that's, um, well, we're not going to change the nature of man. So um, it's been, thanks Brian for 
sharing some of that. I mean, there's way more to talk about, obviously. Oh my but, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just getting started. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I think we should wrap it up so that yeah. we can save some stuff for the next time. Yeah. Next we'll time. Thanks, you, bro. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. coming out. Yeah. Thanks. It was really nice to meet you. Huh? I still don't know. What do you do for a living? Uh, I'm, I'm an orthopedic physician assistant. I do joint replacement. Oh, okay. So I'm around fat the, people yeah, all yeah, day yeah. long. So we had you and I both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine just happened to be less motivated. Right. Oh no, no, my other job. No, I pick them up and. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. Did, you have never had to had to cut somebody out of the house yet, have you? Uh,